Well, it's MMA. Let's get into it. And just like that, we are back with Fight Night Picks and getting set for UFC Vegas 83. It's a Fight Night featuring China's Sung Yudong taking on Chris Gutierrez. As always, one half of your host, duo, Craig Allen X. And Instagram, at Craig Allen FNP. With me to my left, to your right, respective socials, massive Dolphins fan. They did great I tonight. matched by the color there with the Tottenham Hotspur Uni, but Matt, the Dolphins are winning. I was winning last weekend. Of course, you've been winning throughout the season. But when we look at this card, Matt, in terms of winning, there's a reason why I say, well, it's MMA, right? Because a few years ago, at the very end of the year, all of a sudden, John Jones, picograms, and we're moving a card from Vegas to California. But on 24 days notice, all sorts of fights are moved from ocean to ocean. Well, it's all the Pacific, but realistically, from China to Vegas, it was supposed to be UFC Shanghai. There was supposed to be from 125 pounds to 155 pounds road to UFC finales. Chef's kiss, they're gone. You don't even have to worry about them. And all of a sudden, we lose certain fights, like Zhang Minyang's long-awaited UFC debut. He was supposed to be taking on Bredesen Habero. That one out due to travel restrictions. So ultimately, it was a 10-fight slate. On short notice, he had Steve Garcia supposed to be taking on Melchizedek Costa last weekend. It was Nick's due to what seemed like an illness for Garcia. It's been added to this weekend. Also on short notice, Saturday night. A week's notice, it was added Daniel Marcos to take on Carlos Vera. That announced by Jake Noker, a friend of the show and a guy who does a good job interviewing fighters. I'll talk about that as I go through it. So Matt, 12 total fights now on this card instead of 10. I had to do a little bit of a like a, an audible here on Sunday getting ready for these fights. Five total ranked fighters on the card. And again, on short notice, a co-main event, Anthony Smith stepping in, getting a big-time opportunity. Exactly. Seems like it's every other weekend for him. The former title challenger, he gets to take on Khalil Roundtree. So a lot of fighters on this card, debuts on this card, second times out on this card. And listen, somebody said last week, and I quote, Zach Mill 3812 said on YouTube, Craig, such a grouch. Just cancel the channel now. Well, guess what, Zach? I've got something special for you, Matt. How about this? A uh, 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 little bit of fun from our childhood. Here's, here's a sour warhead. Apparently, I'm just a sour grouch about these fights. But, Matt, we have two weeks left with Fight Night Picks to preview these. And as bad and as big of a filler as this card might be, I can still get excited about some of these fights. That was a very sour candy. And coming off last weekend, that was one of the more entertaining fight night cards you'll ever see. So hopefully as my mouth fills the saliva, <laughs> we can have another one of those really phenomenal cards. Oh my goodness, this is hard. You gotta keep talking, but... I thought it was your turn. Again, a lot to look forward to. Song Yudong, he wasn't able to get it done a couple of fights ago. He's been on a roll. That last win was a big time one. Big rebound, yeah. Third main event for him in a row. And for Chris Gutierrez, man, this guy is a leg kick king. You can see that in the thumbnail. So a lot to look forward to here on the channel. You're going to want to keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, we always say. Let's, Let's get, get into it. it. Contender Series Vets Battle It Out at Strawway coming up this weekend. We have the Invicta FC Atomweight Champ following in the footsteps of Jessica Penny, Michelle Watterson. Yes, 
Jinyu Fry, it's Ryani, or sorry, Hayani, formerly known as Amanda, Tayani Dos Santos. She's going to be taking on the multiple-time world champion BJJ, Talita Alencar. And Matt, for Hayani Dos Santos, a lot of people know her from her last loss, maybe not her recent wins. I mean, she did lose to Denise Gomes exactly. over there on Contender Series last year. It was a bit of a lackluster performance. It's a pretty big underdog. And for Dos Santos, you look at the wins that she had on the regional scene, and they weren't all that spectacular. Rather, they weren't against the most spectacular level of competition. You can say that about both these women, really. But when you do look at it for Dos Santos, she goes outside, she gets a win, she has a couple of wins over with Invicta, and I'll throw up a picture there so the people can see, Matt. Her first fight, she takes on Canadian Katie Saul. Katie Saul, Matt. Katie Saul, I thought, looked a little bit like Amy Adams and a little bit like, I don't know, pick any other actress. It was a really odd look there. How dare you say Amy Adams looks like any other actress, first of all? It was just an oddball That's look. But, but she gets a win over a Canadian, Ryan, or Hayani, rather, DeSantos. No stranger to fighting Canadians one-on-one against somebody I mentioned on the channel, maybe too much, Lindsay Garbat. So she was able to get it back against Garbat and win that BTC belt the second time out. For DeSantos, though, her last time out takes on Jillian DeCourcy, and she's able to absolutely win that belt two of the judges had it 50 45 one of them 48 47 but going back and watching that fight Matt, that was a very complete performance exactly. over five rounds for dos santos who looked as thin as a candlestick at 104.3 pounds but wasn't that the nice thing to see out of that fight we did get yeah. to see the whole depth of her style and she's not just a grappler she's not just a striker she does have levels to all of her game and that's the nice thing to see dos santos was an underdog in that fight and decorsi mainly known from Twitter or X, but Jillian DeCourcy's a really good fighter, and I don't care if DeCourcy was up there in her 30s. That's a tough test, and that's a really good win. And I thought DeSantos' striking looked pretty good in that fight, all things considered. I know it does get a little wild, and that's the hard thing I do have in judging this fight. I'm not sure what the ceiling is on a fighter like DeSantos, given what her striking is, because she can just get into the pocket and have some of those rock'em, sock'em type exchanges, and she does throw very hard. She puts a lot behind it. I'm not going to sit here and tell you she's a knockout artist like Jessica Andrade, but if she is able to get in the pocket and make her opponents uncomfortable, especially in a matchup like this against Alan Carr, who is such a grappling ace, but doesn't necessarily have the chops on the feet of somebody like a Dos Santos, who again, I'm openly admitting, I don't know what her ceiling is, but I still think her floor is the higher of the two in this matchup. And the nice thing about Dos Santos is she has the edge in striking, I would say. Her grappling is quite nice. She has a good top pressure. She does go for a decent amount of submissions too, and that's the nice thing to see. It will help her open up some of those spots, even though I don't think she should go for a ton of grappling in this matchup because Alan Carr is someone who's not only going to go for submissions, but sweeps as well. And I think those sweeps off her back are going to be very beneficial. If she gets on her back, she's going to get submitted. The trouble that I have with Hyanny Dos Santos and both of these women, if you're trying to offer a prediction on this fight, you go, okay, throw the picture up there. Numbers on a piece of paper. Look at Talita Alan Carr on BJJ Heroes. Again, uh, what? A 2017 IBJJF world champ in... Gi, in no Gi, she was the champ in 2016, 2017, and 2021. Like, she was a uh, brown belt world champ before that. Talita Alencar is to that next level of jiu-jitsu black belt, and she will mix it in with that grappling very well. Now, we talked about Talita Alencar not that long ago in kind of a roundabout way. I said, man, I hate this last season of Contender Series, and this is where some of the fans are like, man, you're such a grouch. Okay, bud. 
They signed everybody to the point they where did. they signed Talita Alencar's opponent her last time out. It was Stephanie Luciano in a draw. Now, Alencar wins the first round and the second round with the takedowns and the grappling. And in the third round, she's got nothing left in the tank. Luciano gets a takedown. Luciano outstrikes the 10-8 in the third round. Dana White had this to say at the end of the draw. When you think about what Talita brought to the table in being a six-time Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world champion, she had her on the ground most of the time, and she didn't finish her. And then he signed Luciano because of the 10-8 in the third round. Like, they didn't sign Talita Alencar off Contender Series. You might think they did. You might think they did because she's competing before Luciano. She's competing before most people that were on that episode. There were only a few that were signed. Talita Alencar is one, and we already saw Kaina and Kraszewski get knocked out by runaway star of the year Elvis Brenner. But when I went and I looked at Talita Alencar and all of her fights, they're very readily available. She turned pro in 2021. She trains out of Temple Martial Arts and fitness in Delray Beach, Florida. And Alan Carr, I mentioned it in the last video, the Daniel Marcos fight, he's going to be taking on Carlos Vera. I said, hey, American Combat Gym, not the most popular, but Talita Alencar found her way there when she became a pro mixed martial artist off the grappling accolades. And she used to train at Alliance when she was just a combat jiu-jitsu champion and, and personality. So she goes to American Combat Gym, fights over Titan FC, gets a few wins. Combined opponent record for Talita Alencar, including Stephanie Luciano, 9-6-1. and one. It's bad. Combined opponent record for Hayani Dos Santos is 14 and 6. It's 58, 43, and 1. Out of the losses, 28 and 13. Out of the wins, 30, 30, and 1. So neither one of these women have fought the greatest level of competition. Obviously, we talked about D Gomes for Hayani Dos Santos. If you look at it for Talita Alencar in this pro turn, she fights Stacy Vega who was, and I had to go back and have a look, 0-7 as an amateur, lost to Raquel Pennington, 0-3-1 as a pro right now. I'll tell you one thing, Stacey Vega gave her all she could on the feet, and I get it, like Talita Alencar, Temple Martial Arts and Fitness, working a lot of the striking, you can see that on her Instagram between racy pictures, Matt, racy pictures, I felt bad looking, but she trains with guys like Daniel Mendez, who works out some of the striking, and the head coach Lee Probst, not Jeff Probst, from Survivor, but Lee Probst. If you look at her for Talita Alencar, she's the most Dennis Tallulah strawweight I've ever seen in my life. No head movement, no defense when she strikes. She gets hit and teed she off clean, pop, and she struggles a lot with her takedown offense. She does. She's the type of fighter, and I've seen it in the Vega fight. The next fight that she had, she was 1-0 as a pro. She's taking on uh, Contreras, Laura Milena Contreras. She's going for these takedowns. She gets her hands locked. She gets the body lock, and then it's almost like she doesn't know what oh. to do for the takedowns. And that's why I bring up the ceiling of DeSantis. I still think she's the more complete fighter out of these two. But this is the other thing I have to say. Neither one of these fighters moving forward are really ever going to have a size advantage in this division. And that will be interesting to see. Because remember when Yoana first made her rise and she fought Carla Espire? So, like, Yoana, I know she's retired now, but she was a massive straw weight, right? Neither one of these fighters are going to have that type of advantage. I do think it's going to make their pursuit of takedowns much more difficult, even a division like Strawweight. And if you're somebody like Hayane DeSantos, I know she's now married to Colton England over with Fury FC. A lot of Fury mentions here. But for DeSantos, if you look at her, she has decent takedowns. She has pretty wild striking. She has, and we talked about this last weekend, boy, was it a detriment. Wellington Terman. 
moves his head a lot more, but his chin hasn't gotten much better. For Hannity Santos, since she's moved her training from Brazil to Texas, training out of Main Street Boxing and Muay Thai, Cruba Perez, brother, she has incorporated a little bit more movement, and I have seen a bit of a progression of her game from when she first became a pro to where she is now. Obviously, that also comes with a step up in a level of competition along the way. If you look at it for Toledo Alencar, I mean, even in her fight against Quintero, Big judo throw for Quintero. Looks like it's going to go well, but in the scrambles, Alan Carr is able to do it. And you also saw that big Alan Carr win not that long ago against Kelsey Arneson, who is 2-2 two and two and 36 years old. You're the one who called it a big win. Her opponent brought a lot of the striking forward. But my big question in this fight that I want to leave fight fans with, and thus maybe people bring this up at B-Dub-Dubs, my big question for Talita Alan Carr is, I know she's 33 She's not very tall for the division. She's got one of the smallest reaches. She's almost in that Corey McKenna zone of small for strawweight. I wonder if Talita Alencar is like Jacqueline Amarim, that good at jiu-jitsu, but MMA, it's still a puzzle that's I being just, solved. Or if she's a Tabitha Ricci, but I don't think she has the striking of a Ricci. My issue is, anybody with that level of BJJ, you have to worry about them getting a stoppage, in MMA especially. And in the women's strawweight division, you're much more likely to see a submission than you are a knockout. We don't see a lot of knockout artists at 155, or 150. Yeah, that's about it. And like Andrade or Prime, you know? So, at those lower divisions, you are much more likely to see a submission. And that's why I'm always worried about these kind of trapdoor type of fighters like Alan Carr, who all she needs is that one moment to get an advantageous position. And if you zig when you should zag, that's going to be the end of the fight no matter what and you know you can kind of agree with what Dana White said it would have been nice to see her finish some of those advantageous positions in her last fight but look at Damian Maya look at uh, Mackenzie Dern like not all of their fights where they get a lot of top control have always resulted in a submission victory remember when Maya fought Jorge Masvidal and the fight wasn't very good at all but Maya took his back he got takedowns yeah he got busted up a little bit on the feet but the control time was enough I'm not comparing Alan Carr to Damian Maya in terms of BJJ <laughs> but you understand what I mean anybody with that kind of a background you have to respect their ability to get a finish based on very minor mistakes. You look at Dos Santos in this one, 14 wins, eight of them by submission. Seven of eight by armbar. Yeah, I wonder if that's going to be there for in this one. But that's what I think. I don't know how likely we are to see Dos Santos go for a high volume of takedowns. Maybe she will it. if she is able to get Alan Carr hurt on the feet. The thing about Dos Santos that I do worry about a little bit, she can land on the inside of her wrist sometimes and not always on the end of her fist. And if she can do that, that's going to be uh, easier for Alan Carr to duck underneath for an offensive takedown of her own. But again, I still think the totality of Dos Santos' game is much more well-rounded. We'll see if Hayani Dos Santos is able to get it mixing up or if Alan Carr is able to pull away with that BJJ Dos Santos is favored in the matchup we have a look at the topology votes Matt surprise to us there to you I think it's going to be the opposite I'm going to say over under 65% Alan Carr I'll say under that I'm going to say under and listen favorite, I mean though. 591 total votes 57% have Alan Carr to win 76% by decision that's a bit of an odd one 43% that have Dos Santos 83% have her to win by decision so the fans see this one going to a decision Matt from Alan Carr we have seen her win in the second round so that is a thing but I don't necessarily love the cardio and I do like the kind of very game of Hyundai Dos Santos. Obviously the threat of the submission is there for Toledo Alencar. I did see the good takedown defense of Dos Santos her last time out against the Corsi. You've seen it throughout her career and she is a little bit trigger happy sometimes to go for a submission. So again, you do worry a little bit here, but I do like Dos Santos with more varied approach when it is standing. 
I agree with you. I have DeSantos in this fight. But again, anybody, Claudio Poyes, I think, is one of the better examples of this. Because when it goes bad, he looks like one of the worst fighters. Like, he doesn't look like a UFC-level fighter. He's pulling guard. He's getting hurt by every shot in the Butt book. Scoots. Yeah, exactly. Like, he doesn't look that good. But when it goes right and he gets on top of guys and he starts doing sweeps, he does look like an elite fighter, right? And for Alan Carr, I think we might see a potential matchup like that where she looks really bad round one. She's pulling guard. She's getting hurt by shots. But all she needs is that one action advantageous position and all we see is her get a finish i agree with you though i'm gonna go with the santos because i think she could be able to get a lot more done on the feet just go with a fighter out of brazil and you won't be wrong both of us going with hayani de santos to get the win let us know down below in the comment section who you have some big time matchups on this card song Yudong's taking on chris gutierrez Ooh. in that main event you're not gonna want to miss it keep it locked in with fight and apex we always say let's, let's get, get into it, it. journey of young Tatsuro Taira's MMA career continues and already at 14 and oh undefeated as an amateur undefeated as a pro he's looking to make it 15 straight and five in the UFC taking on the 2014 IMMAF World Amateur Champion, Carlos Hernandez. And there's so many different parallels and oddities in this fight that we could go through but for Taira getting ready for his last opponent Edgar Shaira's that wasn't even the original fight. He was supposed to take on Cletus and Rodriguez. Rodriguez falls out. Shaidas takes the fight on a little over a week's notice. They have it at a catch weight of 130 pounds. And Matt, Tatsudo won, I don't know, most of that fight. But if you'll remember, there was a short right hand landed by Edgar Shaidas that dropped Tatsudo Taita in that matchup. And that's kind of been the last two fights for Taita. There's been a little bit of an oh, by the way, attached. I mean, his second to last fight, Jesus Aguilar runs in, lands a leg kick. Taita stumbles, he gets back up. And then all of a sudden, he's going for a single leg. And Aguilar pulls guillotine. And boy, did that look tight for minutes. Yes, minutes. Taita's able to get out of it, get the first round submission win. Numbers on a page. You wouldn't even think about how that fight went. But it has to be said, even in these last two fights, Taita's been wobbled by a couple of leg kicks and had to figure things out on the fly. And we've seen him come out on the right end of it. Again, we wouldn't be talking about an uber prospect if he was losing. But in this one, he's got another tough test taking on a really tested Carlos Hernandez here. It's definitely going to be an interesting matchup, and it's one where it feels like Teja might be the more hyped of the two, even though he is the younger. So if Hernandez wins this fight, he might Hold gain on. a lot more. Hype. Tatsuro Taira in four UFC fights, all of them wins, takes on Carlos Candelario, takes on CJ Vergara, Aguilar, and Shaidas. He's been an average of a minus 640 favorite That's in those wild. fights. He was a minus 1250 against Jesus Aguilar. But when it does come down to this matchup, Matt, for Taita, a super gym in Paestra, Okinawa, and we talked about that his last time out. He was training in Colorado at high altitude with Chepe Mariscal. That's got to be awkward because Carlos Hernandez was on the USA international team at 2014 Worlds, where he and Chepe won the championships, and now Taita was also training with him. And then the other thing for Taita, we talked about this as almost an aside, his big training partner in Japan is Chihiro Suzuki. That guy's had probably the best 2023. I mean, he beat Patricio Pitbull. He then went out there and he recently got the win over with Ryzen to win their featherweight strap. So Suzuki, strap a rocket to his back. He's going to the moon. But Taita's right up there too. I would agree. He is one of the brighter prospects in this division. But like you mentioned, we have seen some of those cracks in the armor up until this point. And you worry if he is going to just be able to accentuate his strength, which is the wrestling. And his wrestling is unique, right? He's not going to go for as many single and double legs as you would imagine. He's great from the clinch. He's got 
those phenomenal upper body throws, but that's why this fight is so interesting, because Hernandez himself is very strong from a lot of those offensive positions. I just don't know if he's going to be able to win out in some of the wrestling from those spots, and that's why I do think Taiga is so heavily favored in this matchup, because I do think we're going to get a lot of clinch, because Hernandez does invite some of those positions, and if Tatsuro is able to win out and get the offensive takedown, and at least be heavy in the top position, well, I'm going to worry a lot less about his striking defense if he is able to attain some of those positions than if he is just standing on the outside, because some of the boxing defense I worry about a little bit more. Yes, the leg kicks so, have landed, and you're right to bring it up, but the boxing defense, too, is the thing that could just end a fight for him when you never expect it. Well, Taita, we talked about this on his rise up. He was a Shuto Flyweight champ. He actually took a fight a few times at Strawweight. Well, how He's young was he when he got signed? Bounced around. He started his MMA journey 15-16, but if you look at it for Taita, he used to block punches by putting his arms straight out. Now he's kind of shored up his defense a little bit, but again, in tight, he tends to drop his hands. It got him caught against Shaida's. It looked like it was an elbow or short shot, but if you do look at it overall for a guy like Taita, gets his bread buttered with the wrestling. And if you look at Hernandez, picked two losses out of 11 total pro fights. This guy, the former champ on the regional scene with HFC, won to Gustavo Baylart who is a Greco-Roman Olympian for Cuba, and he's a one-championship star. So you lose the Baylor early on in your career. That's fine with me. The other loss, it was the second-to-last fight, Alana Cemento by submission. That guy's a rock star, and he's fighting up at the top on this main exactly. card coming up this weekend. So for Hernandez, Contender Series and UFC, a win over Daniel Bárez, a win over Victor Altamirano, the former LFA champ, and a win over Dinius Bondar. If you don't go back and watch that Hernandez fight against Bondar, one judge scored at 29-28, the other two scored at 30-27. Carlos Hernandez beat up my guy Dinius Bondar. Hernandez was a slight underdog in the fight. But if you watch it in the third round, Hernandez with the slam, just like last weekend, just like Onyx, slam... But there was a little bit of doo-doo-doo, doo-doo-doo. And originally, it was deemed that it was a knockout win with two seconds left in the third round for Carlos Hernandez. Then they go to the review officials and they say, hey, there was a clash of heads after the head hit the mat, but during the slam. So they went to a technical decision. I don't know what a technical decision is anymore, Matt. I mean, the Brandage fight against Malcoon hits to the back of the head. It's a DQ win. But when Martin Budai does it to Huggy Bear, not Huggy Bear, rather, it's, uh, what's his nickname? It's normally in the third round near the end of the fight. Yeah, they, they decide, well, yeah, that's a technical decision. But I mean, what's a DQ versus not a DQ? It just, it's, oh, it's just very, a technical decision's pretty clear, guys. It's very ambiguous. But if you look at it, Fernandez, regardless, he gets a win in that matchup. When it comes down to their skills in this fight, sometimes the defensive grappling can be be on the periphery. Out of Valley flow striking for Carlos Hernandez. You see it. I mean, your former champ, Juliana Pena, out of that gym. Yair Rodriguez as well, Bilal Muhammad. So for Hernandez, the boxing is really his strongest suit. And if we don't really get a lot of successful takedowns from Taeda, he could really struggle in a fight like this. I think we are going to see a lot of successful takedowns. That's the thing. I, I agree with you. If he's not able to get to those positions, we could see a sitting duck on the feet, but he just is so strong at getting into those spots, and I don't know if Hernandez has good enough footwork to just evade the clinch for 15 straight minutes. That's what I worry about. We'll see how it plays out. Taita, again, another big favorite. We look at the topology vote. Surprise to us, it is to you. I'm going to say over under 90% Taita. Probably over. Probably over, way over. 818 total votes, 96% Taeda, 72% by submission for the 4% that of Hernandez, 66% by decision. I'll go with Taeda, but I don't think he's ever going to be a champion in the UFC, and I think he's going to have a hard time beating a lot of top 15 fighters. 
What a hot take. He's not going to be champion. Yeah, most people aren't when you look at the grand scheme of things. I like him in this matchup, though. Again, I think from the clinch, that is one of his stronger positions. He does go for a lot of those upper body takedowns. But again, Hernandez, if he can defend some of those, and he does do a really good job himself of digging under hooks, he himself can go for offensive takedowns. Although I doubt we're going to see a lot of those in this matchup. But again, I do like Tatsuho in the fight. Matt, both of us going with Taeda in the matchup. Let us know what you have down below in the comment section. Listen, uh, Hyungsung Parks gonna be taking on Shannon Rash. You're not gonna wanna miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Name Picks. We always say, let's, let's get, get into it. it. Just like that old song by Elton John in 1973, not good by Yellow Brick Road, but Matt, Saturday night's all right for fighting. And I don't know if it was made better on Hockey Night in Canada, the intro, Nickelback and Kid Rock. Da -da -da. But it's getting late, and uh, it was getting late on Saturday night, and all of a sudden, across the wire, it was announced by Jake Noker, good on him, that Daniel Marcos would be taking on uh, Carlos Vera, somebody that a lot of MMA fans should know and most likely love. You look at a guy like Vera, he was featured heavily with Fury FC, getting really big wins over there. He was featured on The Ultimate Fighter Season 31, Team McGregor at Bantamweight. He did lose to the eventual champ, Brad Katona, two-time champ over with the ultimate fighter but for Carlos Vera a very very interesting competitor and I went back through it Carlos was actually doing you're not going to see it on his topology page but I found this out through Jake on the cage side press YouTube channel he was doing a fight at CFFC 128 that's coming up on December 15th so he's getting ready getting ready for a camp against of listen Dredjoni Dredjoni who is their champ over there with CFFC now uh Vilson missed weight his last CFFC title fight. He got a win there. But when you look at it for Vera, getting ready for a fight against Dragoni, you look at the way his opponent would have fought. Well, that's a southpaw he would have been fighting. Guy who throws really big, powerful shots, works in really heavy grappling. That's not really how Daniel Marcos no. fights. So on a week's notice, it will be tough for Vera that way. But when you look at Carlos Vera overall, the things that I had found, Matt, and I found this really interesting, Vera, 9-4 and four as an amateur from 2011 to 2014, from 2014 on 11-3 as a pro. You look at it, he was 35 in the Ultimate Fighter. He was one of the veteran fighters, but considered a prospect, so that's why he was on Team McGregor. He really said when he was talking to Jake that he gained a lot of knowledge from being on Team McGregor, went over to SBG Ireland to train a little bit after he was on the season. But the biggest thing that I found from Vera was this guy's background is very, very high-level Taekwondo. That was his original martial art. You see him mixing it up on the mats. He's actually a coach and a trainer at 50-50 Gym, and when I saw that, I thought, 50-50. It's a weird name for a gym. Somebody big in the UFCs out of that gym that we don't talk about very often. Chase Hooper used to train there, so that was one of the reasons. Ryan Hall's the guy. And wow. Carlos said, going into the fight with CFFC in his corner, he was supposed to have Ryan Hall, among others. So it's a really big thing for Vera. And when you go back through and watch his fights, you'll see that. I mean, five wins by decision, one by knockout, five by submission. And he really does incorporate the grappling into his game to where his jiu-jitsu's great. His takedowns aren't that great. But that's the thing about Vera, right? He's a little bit similar to like a Carl Robertson when you look at the record at least, right? You look at it and think, hey, he's just this great grappler. He's going to 
go out there, shoot double legs, try to take the back, and while he will go for takedowns, they're a lot more of the head and arm variety. He does enjoy those upper body throws. There's a lot of fighters on this card. That's going to be a recurring theme throughout this whole entire video. There's going to be a lot of people going for some judo throws, but Vera does really like to go for some of those head and arm throws. He does do a really good job defensively, too, with some of his submissions. You bring it up. He doesn't have the best offensive takedowns, but he does do a good job creating scrambles when his opponents go for takedowns, and he will get a little wily on the feet, right? I looked at the record, I looked at the breakdown initially, and then I went back and watched some fights, and I was surprised to see how good the striking can look in some of the matchups for someone who does only have that one win by Whoa. knockout, because he is able to throw quite heavy. He does get a little bit overzealous with some of the shots, because the thing about Vera is he will overextend on some of those overhands and some of the kicks, and that's what I do worry about against a guy like Marcos, who, of course, is the more well-known out of these two. You guys have all watched him fight, but the one thing I want to mention is, do you think people might be buying a little bit low on Marcos because of that last performance against Davy Grant? He slowed down a little bit by the end, and a lot of people thought Davy Grant actually won that fight. On rewatch, I thought Davy Grant won, but the way I look at it was, I thought Marcos definitely won round two, I thought Grant definitely won round three. Round one was close, I gave it to Grant, but again, it was a fairly close fight between those two. Daniel Marcos is one of those oddball type of prospects. We have a few of them that are on this card where they're 30 years old, they have 15 wins, they have no losses, are they a prospect? Probably not, but one of those fighters that beat really good competition in the UFC, but not on the regional scene. That's kind of the same thing between both of these guys. For Marcos, he was the champ. 300 Sparta was the promotion. He comes up, starts to train at American Combat Gym. Not a lot of people out of that gym. You know that one for Boston Strong, Matt? Who are we talking about? Charles, Charles Rosa. Rosa. Wow. That's his gym. Talita Alencar also represented that gym for a bit. She's going to be on this card as well. But that's where Daniel Marcos able to build some of his foundation. He was due a fight a couple of months ago. He's supposed to take on Victor Hugo. Hugo showed up 138.5. Marcos unaccepting of the fight. So he moves on and gets to take on Vera. But... Again, when you look at a guy like Vera, if you haven't seen him fight, you might think, geez, this guy's a little old. And I thought about quote tweeting that fight He's announcement. He's a pretty athletic guy, though, I would say. Athletic guy, coaches and trains, works with Ryan Hall, has good jiu-jitsu, Porous takedown defense. You saw that in the Brad Katona fight. And to your point, like, you talk about the scramble ability of a guy like Carlos Vera. We saw it when he was taking on, not that long ago, his last kind of pro fight, if you will, Isaiah Gutierrez. His guillotine His guillotine's really good. He can readjust. And that was off of a tricky, tricky takedown attempt that he's able to end up in the guillotine. It wasn't a traditional... I'm wrenching on this as you're going for the takedown. It was a really nice setup. And again, if you like it with Fury, Alex Morono on the call for that one. Exactly. So he gets shouts two weeks in a row. But I went back. I watched a lot of the Vera tape. And you can find it readily. But I found this really interesting out of him. This lends credence to the record. So his record overall, combined opponent record as a pro, he's 11-3. and three, Add up everybody's record. It's 86-51. and 51. That's not that good. Out of the losses, 35 and I 12, including when Carlos Vera made his debut, he fought a guy who was 14 and 7. That's kind of wild. So that is what it is. Out of his wins, 51 and 39 is the combined opponent record. So it's not all that good. It's gotten better near the end. You saw the loss to Brad Katona, but again, Katona won the season. Katona's really good at wrestling, and you see it out of Vera. It's a really weird, and I, I tried to think and pinpoint fighters that have a similar stance, and I couldn't think of anybody. Out of the southpaw stance, he holds his arms really wide. He throws a lot of kicks to the body, a lot of kicks to the head. He'll mix it up to the leg every now and again. You saw him trying for those prodding kicks, the oblique kicks, the kicks to the knee of Brad Katona, but some of his other opponents as well. But Rivera, not really active with the hands. He'll switch up to orthodox, and it's a completely different stance in orthodox. 
And usually when you see a southpaw go to orthodox, maybe it's to open up a leg kick or maybe he's going for a hook to the body. But Carlos Vera just kind of shows a different look and doesn't do much with it. And the other thing that I found out of him, we talked a lot about fighters last weekend. I mentioned it with Zach Reese and some others. They just kind of back up during the headlights, head all the way back. Carlos Vera doesn't necessarily do that, but... He moves a lot side to side when things are in space, but when he does get backed up, he can tend to drop his hands and take as much space as he can until he gets to the cage, then against it, into the clinch, and he tries for take. And that's the thing about Marcos, right? When you think about him at his best version, what is he doing? He's plotting forward, throwing those boxing combinations, mixing in the leg kick. He has great knees to the head too, and I almost liken this fight a little bit, and I will say this, I'll be interested to see these two square off, because on my side, I think Marcos is going to be quite a bit taller. I know they only have him listed as being one inch taller, but again, I'll just be interested to see how they're going to look once they do finally face off. But if Marcos is able to incorporate some of those knees and really make Vera guess and not be able to switch up his uh, level changes, I think it's going to be difficult for Vera to incorporate some of that grappling into his game. And on the feet, again, I know Davy Grant looked pretty good against Marcos, but for the most part, Marcos has good output. He's a very damaging striker when he is able to land, and he can build, maybe not in volume as the fight goes on, but if he's able to damage his opponent, he can really get them out of there. That's it. I mean, when you look at this fight, it was added in on short notice. We have a look over on Topology for those fan votes. Surprise us there to you. I'm going to say over under 85% for Sancora Daniel Marcos. I think they're going to be high i'll say over and they're really high so 304 total votes 95 percent marco 68 percent by decision for the five percent that are vera 38 percent by decision 38 percent by submission and again when i was going back and watching these vera fights this fight against kale moniz when you look at that one it's a main event with fury so it's a really big spot in that one again the takedown defense a little bit suspects but He's able to kind of get himself into some of these tricky leg lock positions. And you look at a He's guy like off. Vera, there's other fighters on this card. Maybe they only go for arm bars, or they only go for naked chokes. He's got a variety to his submission game. And so having Taekwondo as a first basis, growing up or being born in Ecuador, moving over to the States, Taekwondo, Capoeira, and then Jiu-Jitsu, he's got a really wide array. It's just to me, he gives up a lot of distance when he's striking, which I don't necessarily love. He's kind of a low action, low volume type of striker. And again, we had this last weekend, the boxing of Bobby Green, the kicks of Jalen Turner. In this fight, it really is the boxing of Daniel Marcos, the kicks of Carlos Vera, but size for size and skill for skill, they're kind of the same on the feet. So for me, I do like the activity out of Daniel Marcos. It might seem like a little bit of an oddball considering his last performance against Davy Grant, but we've seen his ability to wrestle in the regional scene. I really do like the striking, so I'm going to go with Daniel Marcos in the fight. I agree with you. I also like Marcos in this matchup. I do think it's kind of a get back on the horse type of a fight because even though he won his last fight in the court of public opinion did he really so i think for marcos it is important for him to not only get the win but look good doing it but i do believe he will be able to we'll see it for the guy that represents 50 50 kaizen mma and team ground control from the dmv falls church virginia it's carlos vera he's going to be taking on daniel marcos both of us going with peru's own marcos some big time fights on this card matt Anthony freaking Smith Ooh. is going to be fighting Khalil Roundtree in that co-main event. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's get into it.
With me, Shatay, getting a dominant win last weekend. The Bantamweight division is on notice and looking to make a breakthrough performance. Coming up this weekend, we have Luana Santos, the former flyweight. She's going to be taking on Bantamweights. Yes, it is. It's Stephanie Egger. And there's so many different questions to ask when you look at a fight like this. Because for Luana Santos, her last time out, she debuts in the UFC. A successful run at flyweight with the LFA. She goes in there against the Ultimate Fighter 31 one champion yes juliana miller and if you didn't watch that fight and you look at miller being then three and two and now three and three you might go wow luana santos boy she probably blew the socks off juliana miller and i would say kinda because for the first minute and a half of that fight it's rock'em sock'em robots wow. and juliana miller has her foot to the floor she she's redlining really it and she's it. landing on luana santos matt i mean we were so excited about santos coming into the ufc let's Kind of throw it on over to Take a clip of that. And when you look at a fight like this against Santos, Santos undefeated as an amateur over with SFT. She was 3-0 over there. She becomes a pro. She's not really beating the greatest level of competition. So then you have to think, is she like a Tainara Lisboa who was accomplished at Muay Thai, came in against Jessica Rose Clark as an underdog, not a good level of competition in MMA, lit the world on fire. Or is she one of those fighters like maybe an AJ Dobson that's on this card who didn't beat a good level of competition and it hasn't really worked out for him in the UFC? We'll, we'll see that, but for Santos, you do like the fact that the striking is very good and she does leave herself out there to get countered. That is one thing that I'll say. Throws really good kicks, has a nice tie stance, but the hands will drop a little bit for Santos. She is a judo black belt, and it's weird because in certain fights they say she's a blue belt in jiu-jitsu, in others they say she's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. So that all remains to be seen. But she trains out of team Lucas Minero, and that's a big-time gem. I mean, Lucas fought in the UFC, had a fight of the night, had a performance of the night bonus, but we know a fighter out of that camp that she trains with. It's Dredd, it's Luana Carolina, and that's a really good fighter to train with when you're getting ready for a fight like this. Again, you're trying to replicate some of the size, and Matt and I, we've talked about it for a while. Is Juliana Miller the biggest fighter at flyweight that you're gonna find? I mean, quite possibly. So for Santos, she's got a lot to do, but the fight that she had against Jenna Bishop is a big one. Bishop is the most accomplished jiu-jitsu practitioner you're gonna find in women's flyweight. She competes now with Bellator. I know she's 36, but that's because her, uh, I guess her grappling career really, really took over. So when you look at it, like in that fight, I had it all three rounds for Bishop. One of the judges scored a 29-28 for Santos. But you look at the rest of these performances and they really, really are good. LFA 154, she's on the prelims and she had a big reach advantage, big height advantage, and she was able to get it done in that one. She really is one of those pedigree uh, pedigree type of athletes with that judo, with that jiu-jitsu, kind of like a Tabitha Ricci down a weight class, although Ricci had the Muay Thai to help her out quite a bit in her career. So when you're looking at somebody like Santos, not a lot of head movement, she will throw the jab, double, triple up, but the biggest thing that you got to watch out for if you're Santos' opponent, it's that big overhand right. We've seen her knock down opponents in the past. Again, not the greatest level of competition. She is a very accredited player on the ground. So the big takeaway from getting excited about Santos into the UFC was big overhand right, judo black belt, and as that round wore on against Juliana Miller, Miller first minute and a half, it's all Miller. Next minute and a half, it's 50-50, but it is power jab like Trevin Giles for Luana Santos. 
Big overhand right starts to land. He saw a few knees in the clinch. He saw the uppercut there. Santos gets a standing TKO victory, and it's great. But Matt, this is one of those weird fights. Not just because Santos started a career at Bantamweight as an amateur, as a pro. She has that one loss at 125 to Jenna Bishop, who's gone on to do great things, and I think is a really good fighter, and then continue to win. So now she's back up at 135 as Luana Santos. You look at her for Edgar. Edgar's in a weird category. She's 3-3 three and three in the UFC. She's got a performance bonus win. Her last time out, she lost in impressive fashion to Irina Alexeva. Then she was supposed to fight Montana De La Rosa just a few months ago at 125 pounds. Didn't make that fight. So now you're 35 years old. You're 8-4. You're a judoka to the nth degree. I mean, we know how good Stephanie Edgar is jiu-jitsu. You've seen that in her MMA fights, but also... On top and bottom. 2019 ADCC European Champion. She went to a draw against Gabby Garcia at Worlds. Edgar is that good. So what did I have to do for this fight, Matt? I did exactly what I did last weekend. I said, Cody Brundage, it's been terrible. But why was he good in the first place? Dustin Sturzfuss, he's been terrible in the UFC. But why did he get to this point? With Stephanie Edgar, I did the exact same thing. I went, okay, three and three's all right. But how do we get to this point? And I went back and I watched her fight against Jessica Rose Clark, who pushes the clinch up against the fence. Edgar, looking to get those hands in the right spot. And then ultimately gets that big Koshiguruma. She gets the big, big windmill all flip. right. She gets a submission win. You look at Stephanie Edgar's fight against King Reina, Reina Mora, over with Ryzen. And at the start of that fight, it's all wrestling and grappling from Edgar. In the third round, both women were very tired, and Edgar was getting hit hard at the end of the third. But of course, Ryzen scored on the totality of the fight. Edgar gets the win there. You look at the fight against Shanna Young. She puts the pressure on it against Eileen Perez. Pressure absorbed. Pressure then given out. So for Edgar, it is really weird. So when I looked at this fight, I went, okay. I watched the totality of the Edgar fights. I know what she does well, what she does poor. One thing that she does poor but well is that she moves her hands and blocks punches a lot by moving her head, moving her hands in the way of the punches and letting them hit her shoulders. But with the judges... That doesn't really score all that well. I think it's almost and static defense. I don't that, think it's yeah. her reacting to the shots and moving out of the way like she's a prime Dustin Poirier. Well, now, hold on. No, she's 8-4 and four and she's 35 years old at Bantamweight. But the other thing about Stephanie Egger, she was doing a decent job of moving out of the way of the shots of Alexiva. She gets into a spot for a takedown. Looks like she's going to get it. Alexiva rolls in, gets the submission with the leg lock. But when I look at this fight, Matt, it very much is. The Luana Pinedo fight against Amanda Hebus not that long ago. Both judo black belts striking. They're kind of one note. And now you get into a fight like this. I hope we get 15 minutes of grappling between these two. Way more than 15 minutes of striking between them. Because although I do think Edgar might be the more complete in terms of her volume is a little bit higher, she does hold her hands up pretty well. And Santos is a weird fighter, and I'm glad you brought this up. Her left hand does look good and technical, but her right hand's just this absolute windmill. And it's almost like if she could find a match between those two styles, where if she found the Goldilocks zone, it would make her style that much more effective. And even though she is very young in her career, the thing is, she's only, what, 20? 
23 years old. I do think we are going to see some of those improvements as she is able to progress throughout her game. But this fight to me comes down to whoever can attain that top position on the mat because both fighters are such talented grapplers that I think they are going to offer up difficulties off their back in terms of scrambling, in terms of, you know, we'll see them threaten with a leg lock, maybe not for the leg lock, but just to try to create that scramble and get that top position. But it does come down to who can attain that top position and hold it for longer because if neither fighter is able to gain that submission, and let's say Stephanie Yeager is the fighter on the bottom and she's fighting for a lot of leg locks. We called it the Luis Smolka effect for years and it was a fighter who's almost a little bit too comfortable on their back working from that position. That's the thing I worry about with Edgar in a matchup like this. If she is a little bit too comfortable on her back working for some of those submissions, you bring it up. The judges don't like the defense. Well, the judges definitely don't like submissions off your back if you're not really able to get one for a long time and really make it difficult. Yeah, it really is an oddball fight that way. And again, it was just me in the kayak talking about Luana Santos putting it on the Subi. But when you do consider this one for both of these women, Buddy Jim for Stephanie Egger, and it still is. But if you look at it for Luana Santos, she's trained out of 0-11 MMA team and Team Lucas Mineiro. For this one, she brought 0-11 MMA team zone Alan Bagoso, who's done big things. He main evented Contender Series in 2022. But they're training out a Team Alpha Male. So an interesting move there for Santos because we have quite a few Team Alpha Male fighters on this card. Sumaderji and Song Yudong at the top represent that gym. So listen, Danny Castillo is going to have his, his hands full. And he that will. guy scares the absolute fuck out of me. He yells so loud in the corner of every fighter. It's like, is that Devin Clark's dad? No, it's just a guy that used to fight in a lower weight class. He's very scary. But Matt, when you do look at this one overall, Santos is almost a two to one favorite in the matchup. She did, of course, get that big first round win. And I don't know how she didn't get a bonus beating Juliana Miller, but she didn't. For Stephanie Egger, the move down to 125 that didn't happen against uh, De La Rosa a few months ago. Now she gets a chance at 135. We have a look at the topology vote. Surprised us there to you. This happens when you have a so-so fighter and a young up-and-comer. I'm going to say over under 80% Santos. Uh, I was thinking about 80. I'll say over. And it is over 625 total votes, 87% Santos, 71% by decision. For the 13% that have Egger, 59% by decision, Matt. It was said in a roundabout way, in other words, last weekend, if you're picking Stoitzfus and Brundage, then it's probably time to fold up the channel. You're like patting yourself on the back. I, listen, man, I, I'll show up this week, just this week with receipts. There's only two weeks left. But when just it does come down to this a fight, bad winner. who's the pick? I do favor Santos because I think she's going to be able to make some of those improvements, fight in and fight out. Again, uh, she is a very young fighter. I thought she was 26, honestly, not even 23, so she's younger than I even thought. I think size will maybe be an issue just because Edgar is a pretty physical fighter for this division. She might not be the biggest of Bantamweights, but somebody who does use the clinch very effectively, so I don't think it'll be an easy fight by any means, but I think Santos can be able to hold some of those top positions a little bit longer, and for that reason, I like her in the fight. I but I do agree with the topology voters. Sorry not to cut you off, but I, I do see but this going to decision. I have a hard time with this one because this is the classic what's your why fight. I know Edgar did just only lose her last fight, but she's 35 years old. You don't want to do what everybody did with Misha Tate, but has the division kind of seen her by? Because if you look, at the, good. you look at the losses for Edgar, she gets out-wrestled by Tracy Cortez, a 125er up at 135. That was kind of a thrown-together fight, but still, you'd think, hey... The judo, the jiu-jitsu, it's good, and they didn't complement anything. You look at the loss to Alex Siva, and it is what it is. The other loss is to Maeda Buenosilva, the phantom armbar in this UFC apex. 
So it has to be some bad vibes for Stephanie Edgar. I'll go with Luana Santos because I do like the striking. But man, Stephanie Edgar, when she finds her position, she saw that in the Prez fight. And I saw it, especially in the rewatch. Edgar's one of those fighters that could bust a parlay too and ruin a night. So Matt, for me... And for you, we're both going with Luana Santos in the matchup. But let us know, please, who you have down below in the comment section. Some big-time fights on this card. The Daniel Marcos fight against Carlos Vera. That's fun. But so Smith versus Roundtree. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's, let's get, get into it. We were excited about this fight last weekend. UFC Austin, we were due a possible fight of the night between the Mean Machine, Steve Garcia, and Melk, Melkazale, Melky Cothy, Melk Costa. And ultimately, the fight was nixed on the Friday of weigh-ins. Right before the weigh-ins, it was announced by MMA Fighting that due to an illness, Steve Garcia was out of the matchup late. I'm talking late on Saturday night into Sunday morning. The fight was re-added or at least added to this weekend's card here at the Apex. So ultimately, it is a bit of a short notice call because you got the double weight cut for both these guys at featherweight. Garcia looking to take on Costa. We talked about this a lot last week and we got a lot to say about this premier matchup in the featherweight division. When you look at this matchup, Matt, when I saw this on Such paper, I went, man, how can you not be excited about it? For Steve Garcia, why is he so hot? It's because of those last two wins really any of his wins his last three but the last two in a row he finishes chase super knocks him down three times i counted four knockdowns in that first round he absolutely destroyed him and against shailan nordambeka diversity i threw it out there i mean shailan looked really good it was one of the bigger comebacks that you're gonna find if you saw my tweet out there on sunday I was smitten, Matt. I mean, huge comeback. He goes from the southpaw stance. It's a left body kick. He pauses right hand out there, and then he goes down with the hook to hit Shailan Nordumbeka with that big-time hit to the liver. Shailan drops like a sack of potatoes. Garcia on top. This guy, when he's on, is so animated and fired up. comeback is CM Punk and Survivor Series, you might say. How long is that going to last? But when it does come down to it... Steve Garcia is one of those guys that win, lose, or draw, I'm going to get excited. fight of the night machine. His, his fight against Charlie Antiveros, if you'll remember. Axe kick to the head where he gets wobbled. He finds himself back in it. He drops Antiveros multiple times. It's just bleeding like a stuck pig if Jim Ross, to make another reference uh, to wrestling, was a thing. Steve Garcia had Antiveros there. Now, when Garcia loses... He tends to get out-wrestled, exactly. or you're able to kind of dip and dab a little bit, and you're, you're able to piece him up. Now, Garcia was supposed to take on Sean Woodson not that long ago, back in September. He did an interview with JHK and the All-Star MMA. He said a back injury in training. He was grappling with a teammate. They got him in a twister. His back just got really tight, and then all of a sudden, it was to the point where he couldn't do a lot. He was having some issues. He had to go to the PI. They recommended that he kind of move away from the fight so to speak so he's been back he tried to get through it but it just didn't work so back injuries kept steve garcia out for a bit for mel costa the debut short notice up a weight class against tiago moises didn't go his way he got submitted although he tried to throw up some submissions out there that's going to be hard against one of the better grapplers at 155 but his last time out against lights out austin lingo the salad wasn't lights out lingo went down costa dominated him 230 27s 130-26. i was on the side of 30-26. costa looked as good as he's looked on the regional scene and almost as good as he's looked ever so i'm really excited about this costa training 
out of a big gym as is Garcia because Garcia you get Texas you get everybody out of New Mexico as well training out of Jackson Wink for Melky Cothy this guy's training to shoot the box of Barrao. And if you like the way that Joe Anderson Britu looked recently, you're going to like the way you look with Mount Costa fighting. And that's why I'm so excited for this matchup. I think Costa might be slightly flashier in this matchup. He's going to go for more of those spinning techniques. And might that not be a good thing. <laughs> exactly. When you fight Steve Garcia, you almost want to stick to the basics and not be too outside of yourself because he can make you pay for any weakness in your game. And Costa's striking might get a lot of the spotlight in this matchup because he is so dynamic on the feet. He throws with a great out put too when he's really able to get in the pocket and use all of his weapons but the offensive wrestling is pretty high level too and you bring it up when Garcia loses these fights it rarely is on the feet even though we have seen him get tested and clipped on the feet but he can get out wrestled in a lot of these matchups and I do think Costa has the type of wrestling and the overall top game to at least stay in that position throughout this matchup and I know everybody wants to get excited oh Costa versus Garcia could be fight of the night I think the path of least resistance for Costa is use some and of that offensive wrestling and not get too flashy on the we feet saw that the Luis Pena fight against exactly. Steve Garcia wasn't great. That was UFC Rio Rancho when Jan Blahovic called out John Jones to the tune of nobody cheering because New Mexico didn't really show up. He did start Corey Anderson though. I don't think there were a lot of Coors Light strength that night because that crowd was as mild as could be. Now, if that crowd was in the Maritimes of Canada, people, the roof would have gone off the place. But when you do look at this matchup, Costa, a very flashy striking arsenal. He likes to do a lot of the spins. Garcia talked about it with JHK. He knows that, so he's going to try and be straight down the pipe. But when you do watch the Costa fights, he will try and play jiu-jitsu a little bit, maybe more than he should. You remember back in 2018, he was in that big viral clip because he got submitted for 90 seconds. He was unconscious, yeah, was so scary. that was pretty gross, but a, a very big record coming in at 27 years old being 20 and 6 in the matchup Costa is heavily favored in this one. Complete game from Costa, the big power to Garcia. And from that southpaw stance he gains a big advantage on these orthodox guys he's got really good length he's got really good distance management i know mahashata finished him that was a surprise to a lot of people and again Pena did with the wrestling but that's the thing about garcia's style right for as powerful as he is it's not the most refined of techniques there is a bit of that early career just engaging oh, to where you can hit him he is very available but again it is one of those risk reward matchups that you have to take into consideration because if you are going to stay in the pocket and try to land on steve garcia and just know there's a lot of power shots coming back and again world. against a lot of orthodox strikers garcia is going to have that in his back pocket in this matchup yeah costa will switch his stance a little bit but primarily this is southpaw versus southpaw and we have a few of these on this fight card and yeah i mean these two guys being southpaw versus southpaw really powerful strikers you look at it for garcia he packs a punch when you look at it for costa he's so creative matt we throw it on over we have a look at topology and when you consider this one matt i mean garcia mel costa the fan vote it's surprised us it is to you i'm gonna say over under and these votes are not gonna have many of them because this fight was just added but i'm gonna say over under 72 and a half percent costa I think they are going to be over, but hopefully it was nothing serious for Garcia, right? I just want the best version of this fight because we both had such high hopes for what it could have been and the fireworks that we did expect. And I, again, I can't get over how great that last fight night card was. We thought this could have been fight of the night on that card. It just speaks to how talented both these fighters are. But I do think the fans are going to side with Costa. And oh my gosh, 263 total votes, 73% Costa, 47% by decision, 41% by knockout for the 27% that I'm Garcia, 35% by decision 56% have the win by knockout and Matt last week I had Malcosta I'm not going to change that now I think he's a little bit more well-rounded but we saw last weekend 
30 years of jiu-jitsu and MMA, and it's been king, but now the slam king is the, the, the wonder. That's all you need. And that's all you need. So I do like the more well-rounded guy in Mel Costa in this matchup, but this should be a really good fight. And I agree with you. I have Mel Costa in the matchup, but you can't throw up enough red flags when you're fighting somebody like Steve Garcia. Someone who we've seen face adversity and come through on the other side, he carries his power very late into the matchup. So again, I think this is going to be in the running for that fight of the night spot without a doubt. And hopefully we just get the best version from both guys. Hopefully it was nothing serious with Garcia. The Andy Dufresne of MMA, Steve Garcia, but Matt, both of us going with Mel Costa in the matchup. Let us know who you know, who you know. Let us know what you have down below. And Matt, the next matchup on the card, some UFC newcomers, Randy Dos Santos. You've got Talita Alencar. Definitely a fight to look forward to. It's strawweight. You're going to want to keep it locked in with fighting Apex. We always say, let's, let's get, get into, into it. it. weekend a flyweight prove it fighting with no road to ufc in sight all the way from shanghai down to vegas we have february's road to ufc winner it's peace of mind hyung sung park and he's gonna be taking on the turkish delight shannon ross and why do i say this one's a prove it fight because if you look at it for shannon ross i mean the five on in it's one and four. He's 34 years old. He's lost three fights in a row by finish. And even that fourth fight in the five on in, it was by finish, albeit to Steven Ersig, where he dropped by the right hand. He got submitted pretty quickly. But if you look at it for a guy like Shannon Ross, this guy can absolutely bang. He's got decent cardio in the fights that he's winning. He's got decent wrestling and he's got pretty good pressure and combos. And when you look at a guy like Hyung Sung Park, why do I say he needs to prove it? Well, I mean, he is on the way to trying to get an eighth finish in a row because that's kind of crazy he's undefeated as a pro he won road to ufc but if you look at it in his last two fights against sungook Choi and the fight before that against mr dart himself tottenoy queer round he has gotten dropped in these fights so a really big opportunity for hyung sung park and we had a lot to say about him before his ufc debut very interesting road to ufc tournaments for hyung sung park i mean this is a guy so interesting undefeated as an amateur fighter 3-0 7-0 as a pro he was a double g flyweight champ before he made it into the tournament and inside of the tournament wins over Sirigar by knockout and Tottenoy Quiram or Kiram who if you look at it for Tottenoy I mean at one point they were training partners like there was bad blood Tottenoy was ripping darts post fight after his first win they square those guys off like they're absolutely That's loving it fight too and Park looked great in that fight so for Park I mean he really is an interesting case when you consider all of this six of his seven pro wins are by finish three by rear naked choke and three by knockout. I mean, he is kind of one of those complete package type of fighters, but I will say this, Park had the respect of the odds makers in his fights on this season because he's minus 200 in that debut against Sirigar, finished him in the first round. If you do look at it, he was a slight favorite over Kiram in that fight, so Topnoy. But if you do consider it, I mean, even with Double G when he was the champ, I mean, I went back, you watch his fight against Juhan Kim, and in that fight, I mean, he beats the brakes off of Kim to where Kim's like laying down on the ground like he's had enough. And the referee goes over and he's like, stand up. And Kim just keeps laying there. He grabs Kim's arm and stands him up. And then he eats a knee and gets beaten into very just the mat. Like it was tough. But again, Park is a very, very good fighter in that way. I absolutely love the striking. I love the ground game that he has. His offensive wrestling isn't 
uh, like we don't see it a ton, but it is pretty good. His defensive wrestling, maybe there's some question marks, especially against a guy like Choi. But the only weakness I could find is he's got a little bit of a low right hand sometimes. Like that's basically it for Park though. Matt, I know you're excited about this one. Obviously for Kyung Sung Park, big finish in the third round his last time out. And again, that top knife fight where he gets dropped, but he rallies back. This guy's a finisher to the nth degree. And I know you're excited to see more out of both of these guys. It is a really interesting fight. And I'm glad that you set this fight up the way that you did. Because for Ross, you can look at his record. And yes, the shortcomings are quite obvious in the losses. But Park also hasn't had the most picture-perfect up performances every single time he's gone out there. Even though he has been able to escape with the win quite a few times. But the thing I do really like about Park is he doesn't need a high volume of takedowns to get a lot of work done on the mat. When he gets you down to the ground, he is able to make a lot of those opportunities. That'll be interesting to see because Shannon Ross has these two very distinguished versions of himself. When he's the guy moving forward using that left body kick, which I really like too when he's able to switch that in, he throws a nice jab, he throws really good volume too. The only thing about Ross that I don't like, and we have seen it come up a few times in the UFC, is he seems like you can fool his left hand. Be it with leg kicks, be it body shots, whatever it is, he'll try to throw that kick away and then he can be open for that right hand coming over the top. Be it with the overhand, be it with the hook. It's just a defensive liability that I do worry about. And listen, is Park going to be the guy who's going to fake underneath and Chad Mendez him over the top? Probably not. But that has been a recurring theme in a lot of these Ross's fights. And if he's not able to fix that, maybe it doesn't come up in this Park fight, right? Maybe he is able to win this fight, defensive takedowns to look good on the feet. But at another point in your tenure at the Bantamweight division, you're going to fight, or sorry, at the Flyweight division, you're going to fight somebody who is going to be able to hit you and really make you uh, regret not being able it's to uh, fix that part of Another game. one of those fights. It's the Brundage Dice. It's like, you're one of four in your last five. Why are we even here? Why are we getting this extra but fight? But I was because, excited about well, Ross in the regional yeah. scene. Like, I thought he was going to be really good. Well, yeah, he had the fight on Dana White's Contender Series where he fought Venetia Salvador. He gets finished in that one, but they still give him a UFC contract. Ross then shares the the wildest story ever former mechanic true, yeah. leaves his job becomes an mma fighter but also blood poisoning in the aftermath of the venetia salvador fight so Matt, when i was looking at this fight and i opened up and i said true blue when you look at shannon ross this guy's a true blue fighter he's 13 and 8 Jalen Turner, if he lost to bobby green last week was point. 13 and 8 too so there has to be an option there but true blue matt blue with the hair I went with the fear of the dawn album by jack white i figured how could i talk about this fight and incorporate a record. I thought Jack White's smart. I'm going to play a little game here. And I'm going to go. We're going to go side two. Side two has these songs on it, Matt. And I'm going to relate them to Shannon Ross. And I'm going to add one word or no words to talk about his overall run in the UFC. We're going to go uh, his career. It's at dusk. Ask, what's the trick? And making my love stick. That's a good song, Matt. Uh, number three, winning. That was then and this is now. Uh, Yosophobia, Matt, that's the fear of the dawn. So we got a little bit of that because the start didn't go all that great. Now we're here. Uh, and then the next one, when it comes to it, he's been losing morning, noon, and night. And uh, he's got to be shedding that velvet and picking up a win, Matt. So really, the morning, terrified of the ocean, though. Fear the dawn. Fear the dawn. Uh, a good record by Jack White. But when I do look at this one, Matt, Shannon Ross has the power in those strikes to where For when sure. he sits down on them, Hyung Sung Park can get caught. And you saw that in the fight against Top No. He was a very good striker. But in that one, it was a straight left down the pipe. It was a right hook. And then it was an overhand left. They land, Park goes down. The Sung Guk Choi fight, as that one wears on, Choi's really able to land some good shots. And if you look at it just overall, 
It was tied by two of the judges going into the third round. One judge somehow had it 20 to 18 for Park. But again, in the second round, he gets dropped by a right hook. And then there was a kick that was caught and a right hook was landed by Sungook Choi. So for Park, he can leave himself out there to get countered, even though he's won seven in a row by finish. Describing it as uh, it, he was, it was one round apiece going to the third. That's a lot of fights, to be fair. That's not like an indictment on anybody. That's the majority of MMA fights you watch. It is an interesting fight. To be fair, though, we are right to bring up the fact that Park has got hurt, but he has to be able to fight through said adversity, too, and that also has to be said. Like, we at least know what he looks like when he does get hit, and he is able to accomplish a lot of these takedowns and still able to get the submission, which is nice. Ross looking for his first win since your birthday in 2020, November 27, 2020. So Shannon Ross looking for the first dub in a while. He is the underdog. If we have a look on topology, uh, Matt, surprise to us as they are to you, the total votes here. I'm going to say over under 85% power just on the recency of it. I think it'll be the favorite, but I think it'll be under that. No, it's over. 801 total votes, 97% park, 66% by knockout, 17% by submission. For the 3% that I've Ross, 38% by decision, 27% by knockout. Shannon Ross, in these losses, he's been getting hit, he's been getting hurt, and then he's ended up losing. Even that air seg fight, big right cross, it drops him, and then air seg's able to get the back, he's able to get the finish. But if you look at it for Ross, decent wrestling, decent grappling, so Park's going to have to do something, and he's not the most active guy on the feet either. So, again... I do have a hard time with this one. I do like Park because I think his wrestling is quite good and hopefully he can add a wrinkle having been off since February of this year when he was able to win the Road to UFC tournament. But this isn't necessary. It's one of the, I guess, easier fights in terms of numbers and names, but I don't think any fight's going to be easy for Park in the UFC. I don't, but I think we are underselling his grappling maybe a slight bit. Like, Ross does have decent grappling, don't get me wrong, but I think Park is much better than just decent on the mat in terms of what he's able to do when he is able to get the top control. If he gets on top of Ross early in a round, let's say with three and a half, three minutes left, he's going to be able to accomplish a lot of that time to where Ross is going to need a knockdown or a significant amount of damage to really tilt the tide in his favor. So I agree with you, I do like Park in this matchup, but hopefully Ross can make it really competitive and land some of those good shots in the feet. Both of us going with peace of mind. Hyung Sung Park in the matchup. Some big time fights in this card, Matt. Of course, up at the top, Smith taking on Roundtree. You've got Song Yedong taking on Chris Gutierrez. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's, let's get, get into it. it. Absolute banger, Walter Wade. It's sad that this is at the UFC's apex with the absence of fans because we have France's heir, Kevin Jousset. He's going to be taking on the assassin, Sung Kanon. And Matt, why would I be excited about this fight? fight? Because Sung Kanon is always an underdog and he always shows up to bang, even in his losses. Look at his fight against Max Griffin where the kicks and the punches, they took over. Look at his fight against Ian Gary where he drops him. Into questionable circumstances, but he ends up getting finished himself in the third round. Look at his last time out as a really big underdog against Rolando Bedoya, where everybody counted out Song Kanon. Did I pick him to win? No, but guess what? I previewed that fight to the best of my abilities, and I said, watch out for this guy, Song Kanon. He is a problem. He had Rolando Bedoya on skates. Dropped him in the second round, an unaccredited knockdown. Dropped him for reals in the third round. That one got the 1KD 
in the stat sheet. And when you look at a guy like Son Kanan, his boxing is what got him to the dance. I'm going to throw some pictures up there for Kanan because this is the craziest part about it. He would have got a big pop from the crowd if he were to fight in Shanghai where for this sure. friggin' card was supposed to be. But he's not this time out. He's trained at different gyms throughout the time. Team Alpha Male when he moved over to the States. Then Killcliffe FC for the recent fights. For this fight card, he's training at Bangtao Muay Thai. Why would I get excited about that? Well, fighters from Bangtao recently, a little bit of 50-50, right? Kelvin Gaslam wasn't really going all that well. Zach Reese trained there. Boy, he got mowed down last weekend. But Zhang Wei Li's trained there too. And those Hickman brothers know how to get it done. No, why would I be excited about that? If you've never... Open up the YouTubes and watch Sung Kanan fight Brad Riddell. You should do that right now. If you've never watched Sung Kanan fight Israel Adesanya, please, I implore you to do it because Sung Kanan at the very start of that fight, look at this guy grappling against Israel Adesanya, finding success until he gets kicked a bit and he loses. Look at him against Brad Riddell, landing big overhand rights until he gets finished in the second round. Sung Kanan, there's usually an but by the way, but if you look at him overall in the UFC, the knockdown ratio, it's in fuego. And this guy's striking is very good. He's just a very slept on guy because he's had bouts of inactivity. But now the guy's back. I would agree. He is a very skilled fighter. And that's the thing you like about Sal Kinnon. You do look at the boxing and that might be the highlight of his game. But like you bring up in the Adesanya matchup and through a lot of his previous fights too. He does have a nice offensive wrestling game to go along with that. He might not be the most progressive of grapplers in terms of getting past the guard and going for a lot of crazy chokes and whatnot. But he does do a good job being able to switch it up with his levels. Especially if his opponent is very aggressive. And I'll be really interested to see if he decides to do that in a matchup like this. Because Sal Kinnon is one of these fighters who when he stays tech Technical, there's not a lot of fighters who can beat him. But once he does gain in confidence, it's almost the worst thing for him. And if he does start to shoot a little bit wild and not keep the straight shots, because that's the thing about Song's boxing, he will throw a looping shot from time to time, but his highlight is the jab. It's the straight right down the middle. And if he can stick to some of those weapons, and again, maybe even mix in the offensive takedown, it will be interesting to see how he goes out there and fights somebody like Jusette, because Jusette is a massive fighter for this division. In the welterweight division, I don't know how many other how many guys outside of like prime Douglas Lima and Bellator can match him in size in a division like this. And we know he's got big pop in the hands, but I was really impressed to see in his last matchup, to see him finish with that rear naked choke. It was nice to see over Crosby, who's a fairly decent fighter in his own right. And that's a funny thing for Kevin Jusset. We talked a lot about him before that Kiefer Crosby fight. So let's throw it on over to a clip about Air Jusset. But when we look at Kevin Jusset, again, this is a guy, city kickboxing. You see him with the Adesanya's of the world and so on and so forth. But when you look at a guy like Jusset, he grew up in France training as a judoka and he made it very, very far in the country. Junior national bronze medalist in the discipline. He was on the French national judo team. And then when he reached 17, 18 years old, he moved down to Australia, started training at Absolute Mixed Martial Arts. That's a gym that you're going to see Jack Farr Jenkins out of on this card and then eventually over to New Zealand to train out at CKB. And when you watch these Jusette fights, Matt, again, He's a guy, I, I struggle in a couple of respects. Kiva Crosby gets hit by long-rangey strikers. Kevin Jusset's striking defense is tall chin, up in the air, hands out. And Jusset doesn't really respond well to his opponents kind of crowding a lot of the distance. He tries to just meet them halfway and, with And jobs, landing yeah. a lot of the hooks. Now, both these guys throw good leg kicks, but you brought it up. Kevin Jusset, kind of like a Jack Jenkins, leg kicks are almost his bread and butter. And if you do get into the clinch, Jusset being a judoka... 
He kind of waits and waits. Even his opponents, they can hold him back up against the cage. Traditional takedowns can take you set down. But when he's able to get some of those Koshi Garumas positions or those odd angle trip takedowns, Jusset really is a master of those. So again, if you look at Jusset's... I don't know if he's a master of them. He can do them. If you look at Jusset's record, he has a 2019 finished loss to Jack Jenkins, or not Jack Jenkins, Jack Della Maddalena, who you've seen go far in the UFC. He also has a split decision loss from a few years ago for the title over with Eternal against Caleb Rideout. It's a split decision loss. I thought... I was surprised that Rideout won that fight after going back and watching it because Jusset does get hit quite a bit, but there was a 50-45 in there, 49-46 all for Rideout. You look at the last three wins over James Crowell, who was 0-1, then Priscus Fulganiolio, who was 11-1, 39 years old on a three-and-a-half-year layoff, and I thought, okay, this is going to be an easy win. Really, really close fight in that one. And then if you watch Jusset's last fight, I had to buy Fight TV to watch it against Kit Campbell. Campbell wins the first round. Second round's 50-50. And then Jusset's able to get it done with the ground and pound in the third round. There's one thing Jusset does that I hate. He throws naked leg kicks. Like, he won't set them up with his hands before. He'll just throw, 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 throw. And it can get quite repetitive to where, okay, if he does fight an upper echelon striker welterweight, let's say Jeff Neal somehow gets healthy at some point and ever fights again. He would be able to have a field day with someone like Jusset just because some of those motions are quite repetitive. So again, two premier gyms for Jusset. You get that added advantage of, well, Adesanya fought Sunken on years ago, so maybe you can build a little bit off of that if Adesanya's been around the gym. But if you look at it for Jusset, interesting to see him maybe build as a striker in certain respects, but you know that only having one submission win, it might not jump off a page, but we saw that on his run up that he had good takedowns. Now, he can get beat by the volume his striking defense is a little bit questionable but we saw it on display against Kiefer Crosby you got to withstand those big bursts and those big combos he was able to kind of progress through that and get a big win his last time but that is the thing about Jusset unlike fighters like Adesanya I guess if you pressure him a lot if you're fighting I guess Sean Strickland of all people can do it or like uh, uh Alex Pereira then you can get to him Jusset can get caught behind those two black lines and that's what you worry about in a matchup like this because I guess both these guys to a certain degree are such great fighters when they're the ones moving forwards but both of them have some of those liabilities when they are in the retreat so more than anything whoever's advancing in this matchup is probably going to be the one winning a lot of these exchanges well and the big thing too Kevin Jusset with that judo background being his initial martial art you look at it against Song Kanan and we've seen him excel with some of his own offensive takedowns but we've seen him struggle in certain fights with True. the takedown as well so we'll see how that plays a factor for Jusset he is favored in the matchup we have a look at the topology vote surprise to us as they are to you the fans don't like Sankin on. I'm going to say over under 72.5% Jusset. You made fun of me by the end of this, but I think you did kind of agree with me. Remember when I would always say, like, if you beat Jalga Gulov, the record might not mean a lot because he had lost so many in a row, but it's a pretty good name to have on your resume. Sankin on, like you said, does he get the respect of all the fans? Maybe not, but it's a good win to have on God, your resume if Jusset's well, able to win this one. Guy had a performance of the night bonus against Bobby Nash and a fight of the night against Alex Morono, and people are going to sleep on him. That's what I'm like. If you said he's able to get the victory over Sankanon, so, that's a really nice win to have. So over under 72.5% juice sets, my... my. I think they're going to be over. I think they're going to be over. They're under. So 694 total votes, 68% Jusset, 62% by decision, 21% by knockout. For the 30, 32% that I have Sankanon, 66% by decision. Matt, in this one... 
I think Song Kanan's going to get the win in this. And I really do like the fact that he can go to the body and then up to the head. He's not the heaviest of kicker. We did see it in a loss where he was able to throw a lot of kicks against Ian Gary. But overall, Song Kanan, the kicks aren't the biggest part accentuated in his martial arts uh, arcing. I just guess just journey, but he's not like a guy like Chris Gutierrez, but I like the boxing to where if he can keep Jusette guessing with his hands, they're already pretty low. If he's got to try and play the game of bringing them up and bringing them down, Sun Kanan can really land some of those big strikes. And we saw that for Jusette against a much better boxer, but still in that same category being Jack Della Maddalena. So for that reason, I like Sun Kanan in the fight. I'm going to go with Joseph for this reason. I like his ability to switch up his left hand, be it from a jab or a left hook. And I think that's going to be important to try to decept or to try to confuse, sorry, Song Kanan. Kind of the same degree as what you said. If Song Kanan can go to the body to confuse Joseph, I think Joseph can do that with the left hand and maybe even set it up with the right. But I'm also going to be interested to see again, like I said, the biggest key to this matchup is the advancing party is probably going to be the one who's winning this fight. Not going with the former welterweight and middleweight hex champ, Kevin Joseph, to get the win i'm going with the man representing bang tao muay thai sun Kanan. let us know who you have down below in the comment section some big time fights on this card that you're not going to want to miss let's keep it locked in with fight name picks as we always say let's get into it Tides of play this weekend at middleweight and Matt, the Lunar Cycle has Jun Young Park surging right now on a four fight win streak, three in a row by finish and he's looked amazing in these performances. He's going to be taking on a guy who's hit low tide, he's bottomed out, the ship is sunk, it's Andrea Muniz and Matt, when you look at a fight like this, I mean, listen... I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it. People see a Canadian flag behind us and they think, hey, you guys wear international shirts and hats all the time. You must be Americans. No, we're not. There's we're, a lot more sports franchises we, in America, though. We are Canadians. And with that, I want to throw up a rest in peace to a Maritimer, Matt. Today, Miles Goodwin passed away of one of our favorite bands, April it. Wine. And Matt, this fight has me thinking, I like to rock. And I What's think, your favorite April Wine song? Uh, Probably... Ooh, what a night. That's my favorite April Wine song. When I was a kid, I used to play, and I wasn't a good hockey player. I played one year competitive in Adams, so I would have been eight years old. But every time you went to play in the cold barns, they'd always play April Wine between the periods. And Matt, you know where I'm going because you were a little kid going to my hockey yeah. games. When you'd go out to Burt's Corner, out towards Keswick Ridge, really cold rink, I had actually somebody this week go, hey, we our, our kids have to play in Burt's Corner. What's it like? Oh boy, have fun. But they play Ooh What a Night at almost every Everything single stoppage. Right. And I get so amped up. So I'm excited about April Wine. Although, rest in peace, Miles Goodwin. But I'm really excited about this fight. Hopefully some people get to get the Canadian flair out of the music. But Jin Young Park, Matt, I went back and I watched from the start of his career, which might seem wild, but if you saw my Twitter today, you know where my head was at. I watched Jin Young Park from the start to where he is now. I watched Andrea Muniz from the start cool. to where he is now. And Muniz was a 2-1 to favorite in his last two fights that he's lost. He was the dark horse of the division, ranked all the way up to 11th when he fought Brendan Allen. So you're buying low with that tide. You're buying high with Park, but I think this is an awesome litmus test fight. Well, let's talk about Brendan Allen again, because this fight to me for Andrea Muniz is almost like Brendan Allen's fight he had against Punaheli Soriano, right? It was, hey, Brendan, we know how good your grappling is, but what more do you have to your game and what improvements have you been able to make? And guess what? Brendan Allen's been able to make those improvements to the level of beat the brakes off Andrea Muniz, and I didn't think he was going to do that, to be completely open and honest about it. But he has looked better performance in and performance out, right? I'm not telling you Brendan Allen's going to become champ, but I can't 
can't sit here and tell you he never will be. Sean Strickland became champ. Anything can happen, guys. But for Muniz, this really is the time to say, hey, I have started to make those pronounced improvements in not only my offensive wrestling, but just the overall striking game. Because Junyun Park, I think, is a really good opponent to have for this type of a fight, right? He's well-rounded. He has the offensive takedowns. He has his own offensive boxing as well. And I do think on the feet, he's going to make Muniz uncomfortable. And that's where we're going to have to see what version of Muniz are we going to get. Because if he is uncomfortable on the feet, is he just going to kind of falter under that pressure? Is he gonna strike? Does he have an ace up his sleeve? Because if you go to Andrea Manisa's Instagram, I'm gonna throw a picture up there. He won the South American absolute uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt championship, which is awesome. But he's it looks like he's, he's been training for BJJ tournaments. If I look at Andrea Manisa's striking game, it reminds me a little bit of a guy that fought last weekend and got beat. Reminds me exactly of Joe Selecki. If you look by the numbers, 2.17 strikes landed per minute to 2.03 absorbed. He's got a 53% strike defense rate. So he's got to kind of waltz his way in, try and defend a barrage. He gets the fight down to the mat. He doesn't do a lot of strike. And when it is at the mat, he's really heavy on top. He tries to break you down. He tries to get the submission. And the best example for Muniz, and both these guys have fought similar fighters. So Andre Muniz beat... Eric Anders. And I can't say anything bad about Eric Anders because we were in that Wolverine music video for the Mummy Cats. And that was awesome. And it's pretty cool. Go check it out. But for Andre Muniz in that fight, what happens? Eric Anders hitting him hard, blitzing forward. Offensive wrestling from Eric Anders. Muniz is able to get the submission win. Junyong Park against Eric Anders. It was a tale of two different fights. Anders is doing well with the grappling. Park's doing kind of well with the striking. It's a split decision win, and it wasn't all that long ago. But it wasn't really a fun fight to look back on either. You know what I worry about, and you're you're probably not going to agree with me, is Junior Park going to shoot the dumbest takedown of all time okay, in the history? Okay, so I'm glad you asked me that, Matt. So I, I said at the start. Because I, I worry. No, no, no. Whoa. Get ready. I doubt any of you. And I mean anybody watching this video has watched Jun Young Park fight Shavkat Rachmanov in the battle of M1 Global. And Matt, guess what? Watch that fight today. And what are they fighting? The Rage. Matt, what's a Rage? It's a ring, but also a cage. The it's ring pretty cage cool. hybrid. And it was a square, so it wouldn't have the, the fallouts like you'd have in yeah. old Pride events. But it keeps the, the action and the substance. Jun Young Park is beating Shavkat Rachmanov with the striking and the wrestling, nearly gets submitted in the first round. Then in the second round, beating him with the wrestling, gets submitted. Gets himself out of one bad armbar in the first round, uh-uh-uh, in the second round. Then I watched Jun Young Park fighting against Ray Cooper. He's out striking Cooper. Cooper goes in for the takedown. Jun Young Park, anaconda choke. And he gets the submission win. So Park's one of those streaky guys to where the wrestling can win him some of the fights. The striking can win him some of the other fights. You saw him his last time out. Drop Albert Darayev. Gets a submission he win over Darayev. Really that's amazing. But again, like a Joe Selecki, like Alan Carr that's on this card, Andre Muniz is to that extra level of a grappler. So you have to be really careful. And again, for Muniz, he was weird coming into the UFC. Beats... Bruno Assis on uh, Dana White's Contender Series 2018. Assis goes for takedowns, but Muniz wins. Taylor Johnson goes for takedowns in 2019, but Muniz gets a submission win. We all remember the fight against Antonio Ahoyo, one of the worst ever, but Muniz is able to get the win there. Again, these guys have fought similar guys in the past, but for Park, again, he's won four in a row. Muniz lost two in a row, and all of a sudden, Junior Park's... A two-to-one favorite. The hotness. That's kind of weird. Said. So people are down on Muniz. People are high on Park. And I think 
because fans are fickle and they're a little bit like that. I think the topology votes are going to show us the same. I'm going to say over under 75% Junior and Park. I think they're going to be under. And they're over. Look at that. 863 total votes, 79% Park. Barely. Let's not act 40... like I'm the dumbest man alive for saying no, no, under. No. You're fine. 49% have Park to win by knockout, 17% by submission. I, that's not going to happen, guys. I don't think it will. I know it has in the past, but Junior Parks is not that. When he goes for the wrestling, it's a lot more of he'll get stuck in the guard. He's going to go for some ground and pound. You said Andre Muniz. I know. I've been never submit Jacare Souza, and that was a submission of the year. Now for well, Muniz, he broke his arm though. It wasn't the fact that he got him in a submission and kept on doing it. He flipped over his back and broke okay. his arm. You didn't want me to tell you you were stupid for your your pick on the percentages. But that's what happened. He broke his arm because he had the submission. So don't say anything too crazy. For the 21% that in Muniz, 57% have him to win by submission. Matt, who do you have in this fight? Because I have seen Park lose fights. I have the underdog in this fight. I don't like the game of Andrea Muniz in terms of, hey, you're going to go on and win the title. I know we have seen a lot of specialists, especially in the middleweight division, be able to get to really high heights, right? Sean Strickland, for the most part, I know he does have defensive wrestling, but for, for the most part, he is a striker first, and that's pretty much it. Adesanya Prayer, a lot of these fighters have been able to get to the top of the mountain by being somewhat one note, but at least they all have the defense in the other manner, whereas Andrea Muniz doesn't necessarily have the defense on the feet, and that's what I do think is going to hold him back from a lot of these top tier fighters but i do think on the mat he's going to be able to get something tricky on park it might be a fight where park's winning every round until he does lose one moment but for some odd reason i do like the underdog in this matchup 69 percent takedown defense for park in the ufc it's pretty good i, I mean his last three fights all won by rear naked choke he over wrestled against shavkat rachmanov the referee, a man who had a wooden cross in the middle, not Fedor Emelianenko, Vyacheslav Kiseliev. That guy will see some things through. But when you do look at it for Park in the UFC, 7-2, one loss to Fluffy Hernandez where he gets submitted, and one loss in a two-round fight of the night against G-Rod, Matt. Gregory Rodriguez. And that was a wild fight and a lot of fun to go back and watch. But the strike differential, 4.94 to 3.66. And if he goes out there and he strikes, he's got a pretty darn good shot. Also of note in this fight, Apex records for these two guys. Jun Young Park, 5-1. and one. They've been his last six fights. He's an Apex star. So he's not selling tickets. Sadly. Like and for Andrea Muniz, 3-1. and one. Two of them on Contender Series. Uh, he's got one against Bartosz Fabinski. Hey, Bartosz, don't go for the double leg with your head out there. And he did it. And one against Brendan Allen. So, Matt, for me, I like Junior Park in the spot. I think his striking is very good. I could see him getting himself into a bad position. It's all I did today was just, it's it's just memes of Junior Park going out there and getting himself into bad spots. He's up 2017 going into the third round, just shoots the worst double leg you've ever seen. But I do have the Iron Turtle. So, Matt, we're split on the pick on this one. It was a lot of fun to go back and watch tape getting ready for this, except for Muniz gets a hoil. It was so bad. But let us know who you have in this matchup. Some big time fun fights left on this card. I'm jazzed about Sumaderji and Alana Cemento. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Name Picks, we always say. Let's, Let's get, get into it. it. In a fight that was booked earlier on this year, but it fell out, unfortunately, now we get it. Coming up in the small apex cage, a possible fight of the night between a couple of lightweight bangers. We have Nazrat Hakbras. A channel favorite taking on Jamie Mullerke, also a channel favorite. Matt, I'm not joking. Might be some fights in the comments section. I absolutely love this fight. For Nazrat Hakbras, he was supposed to take on Mullerke earlier on this year. The fight falls out. Francisco Prado comes in. Jamie Mullerke dog walks him. 
and then he has a tough fight after that and loses. But Mullerkey's last time out, he looked pretty damn good. And for Nazareth Hawkbrass, he's able to he's been able to ring off a couple of big time wins in a row. And if you look at it, UFC record for these two guys combined. It's been underwhelming to what their skills are and what to the, the hype's been. It's 12 and 8 overall. If you look at the knockdown ratio, Nasrat Hawk Brass, 5 4 to 1 against. Jamie Mullerkey, 2 4 to 3 against. And we said it a few fights ago. Mullerkey gets put on put on skates a lot. And a lot of people in the comments section ripped us apart. Take an now, X-ray of that chest, though. For Mullerkey a couple of fights ago, beating Mohamed Naimov in the first round, beating him at the start of the second round, goes in tight, gets hit with a big-time hook, and gets dropped. His last time out, he was able to look really good against John McDessie. And again, for Nazareth right, Hawkbrass, his last two times out, a fight against John McDessie, he beats him quite soundly a year ago. His last time out, I don't know how that fight didn't get fight in the night against Landon Quinones. We sold you a bill of goods on it. Thank goodness it delivered. But you might not know this. Nasrat Hakpras set himself a personal record inside of the UFC's octagon. He landed 171 significant strikes to 148 that uh, Landon Quinones was able to land. And man, that was a really close competitive fight. And so for that and for everything, I think this is going to be an awesome fight. It is a phenomenal fight. And this fight reminds me a little bit of like when Tim Means fought Matt Brown. You know, just guys kind of in the middle of the division who with a win it will propel them up. A loss might be a little bit devastating. That might be slightly too harsh of a word. But this is a very pivotal fight in the careers of both these men because half I would say had the more hype out of these two when he made his UFC debut, but they are both in that same category of fighter in the UFC to where if you're a prospect, you're going to want to fight both these guys. And guess what? If you beat them, you're going to make your name off them and then get a really big fish after that. But they're also not just going to lose to every prospect, right? They are going to turn a lot of those talents back. And I also like the fact that they're both pretty well-rounded. I know they will show their striking a lot more than the grappling. I would say they both will, but they both have the wrestling and the offensive grappling in the back pocket. I will be interested to see if either fighter does use it. Now, I gotta be honest, if we see either fighter shoot for a takedown, it's probably because they're getting in a little bit of trouble on the feet. Now, this is what I I don't think so. No, you th- no, think I think, uh, hold wrestling? on. I So I listened to an interview by Toby from Heavyweight MMA on YouTube. Shouts to Toby. No offense, but I hadn't heard of him before and there, there weren't a lot of views on it, but he interviewed Jamie Mullerkey before this week and he also interviewed Shannon Ross. So check out his channel. It's small, help it grow. If, there's anything I can do in the last two weeks of this, go grill that channel. But if you look at it for Mullerkey, he talked about the fact that this camp, he spent a lot of time at Central Coast. He's gotten a little bit of sparring in a freestyle with Joe Lopez. That's a Volkanovski camp. And he's mixed things up, obviously, with Ross Pearson. Now, Toby kind of leads him along in this interview and feeds him the answers. So it was a little bit odd that way. But Toby had said, like, hey... Look at the fight that Dan Hooker had. Dan had a lot of success with the takedowns. Maybe that's what you're going to want to do. Dan's a way better fighter, too. And it almost sounded to me like that might be what Mullerkey might do. And he's had a lot of success with his takedowns, like Ansfara's Farah Ziem. You think of the Brad Riddell fight, the fight of the night. This he's had success with his takedowns as Mullerkey. They're both a lot more stationary of fighters than a Nasrat Hackpress. When Hackpress is at his best, not only is he a very high-volume fighter, like you mentioned, he's moving those feet really well, too. And I do think it's going to be difficult if Mullerkey's not able to get a ton of respect on the feet like uh, Riddell was able to get with Moloch or like Dan Hooker was able to get with Hackpress. I just don't know if his wrestling for wrestling's sake is going to be effective enough to go out there and shoot I, a high volume. Maybe he's going to incorporate it in his game. I just don't know if we see Jamie Moloch put on the wrestling shoes and it's going to give him the best opportunity to win this fight. 
He had three against Francisco Prado, which is the fight he was supposed to have against Nasr at Hakparast. He had three when he was out there taking on Muhammad Naimov. He you had know, five against Farazim. I think takes the on good strikers is much better than all of those fighters. I don't really think it's close, to be honest. He moves his team very well. We've seen Hakparast in the losses. I mean, the short notice UFC call up against the former Bellator tournament champ, Marcin Held. We also saw Hakparast against Dan Hooker lose due to that. But when you look at it again, for Hakparast, I mentioned the Held loss. Then there were a lot of good wins. He also lit the, held the up Tebow, on the feet. The Tebow Goody fight of the night. When you look at it for Hawkbrass's next, lo next loss, and his only other knockdown was against Drew Dober in a Southpaw versus Southpaw matchup on a check hook that's able to drop him. But if you look at it for Hawkbrass overall, A, I'll be interested to see what kind of representation we get in his camp. Because last time, it was all sorts of different gyms for some reason. I know he used to train at TriStar, but he bought uh, brought... Faraz Sahabi in. You don't see a lot of fighters do that anymore. And if you do look at it for Mullerkey, in the UFC, he's only faced two southpaws, and he's one and one against them. One's Michael Johnson. Remember how well it went until it didn't. He did get dropped in that one. And one is, of course, Jalen Turner. And he got dropped in both of those fights. So for Jamie Mullerkey trying to figure out the southpaw, it's gotten him dropped twice in two of those fights. We'll see how it plays out for him. And again, when you do consider it for a guy like Jamie Mullerkey, he's had fight of the nights in the UFC. Hawk Prost had one in the UFC. Hawk Prost, a 2-1 to one favorite in the matchup. We have a look at the topology vote. See what the fans are thinking. I'm going to say over under 70% Hawk Prost. I think it's going to be over. The fans are wilding this week. 837 total votes, 82% Hawk Prost, 80% have to win by decision. For the 18% that are Mullerkey, 73% have to win by decision. I have Nazareth Hawk Prost in this fight, Matt. I think he hits a lot harder. I think the fact that he goes to the body to bring the hands down on Mullerkey, if Mullerkey's hands come down even a little bit, he leads with his chin and he gets hit quite a bit. So for me, I like Hawk Prost in those spots. This is much easier said than done. I agree with you. I've also got Hawk Prost. But if Mullerkey is able to plant his feet in the pocket, and if he's able to time Hawk Prost on some of those entries, because Hawk Prost does move his feet a lot, and sometimes he can jump into the pocket. And if Mullerkey can meet him halfway, he does have surprising power. I'm not going to sit here and tell you JV Mullerkey's Justin Gaethje. But if Mullerkey's able to meet Hawk Prost halfway with one of those straight shots down the middle, we could easily see him hurt Nazrat and maybe even get a finish afterwards. But I do think the speed of Nazrat is going to be the X Factor for him and while ultimately get the win. Yeah, when Mullerkey was talking about his camp with Toby from Heavyweight MMA, I might as well link that down below, but uh, he talked about the fact that he was nursing a few... He didn't use the words I'm going to use, so I'm going to paraphrase because the word he used was awfully close to a bad word, but nursing a few injuries, and he got through them as he worked through camp. So my, both of us going with Nazrat Hawk for us to get the win in the matchup. Uh, channel favorite, a couple of them here, and in the next fight... Couple more channel favorites. Andre Muniz is taking on Jun Young Park, and I love that fight. So, listen, you're gonna want to check that video out. All of them here in the full card video. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, as we always say. Let's get into it. The second of three team alpha male fighters on the card. The main card, it is Suma Derji's last time out, a loss in 2022 a in a two-round fight of the year contender against Matt Schnell. A long layoff for him. Suma Derji's last win, 1,053 days ago against Zuruk Adashev, looking to get back in the win column, taking on Puro Oso Alon Nascimento. Matt, we talk about premier gyms in this one for Suma Derji, team alpha male, working out with Sonia Dong, Danny Castillo that again 
So he scares me. And, of course, Luana Santos is on this card. Alon Bogoso, that's probably a good help at 125. He's there to train with. But when you look at a guy like Alon Nascimento, Team Diego Lima, shoot the box. I mean, the guys that can strike there. Thomas Almeida's smile scared me since he came into the UFC. That guy can get it done. But Charles Oliveira, Daniel Santos, the guy's Willie caught for a reason. There are some really good fighters out of that gym. And Alon Nascimento is one of them. And if we talk about Sumaderji, out of one side of my mouth, having a two-round fight of the night, fight of the year contender against Matt Schnell, Alain Nascimento in Dana White's Contender Series 2018 in a split decision loss against Halium Paiva. That's one of the best fights. If you've never seen it, you got to go watch it. So for Nascimento, loses that fight against Paiva, takes a long layoff, beats Edvaldo Lima, and then it was like, okay, whatever. Comes into the UFC, loses a split decision against Tagiro Lombekov that I thought Nascimento won, but the last two fights, he completely out-wrestled Jake Hadley, which surprised a lot of people. And then Nascimento's last time out, he submitted Carlos Hernandez. Gotta be some Spider-Man memes in the back for this week. But Nascimento, the reason why we liked him coming into Contender Series and then coming into the UFC... This guy's the biggest flyweight. He is a like, huge Like, I don't list him as 5'8 as a joke. But to be fair, though, Super Energy, he's, he's rangy. He's big and he's rangy. When he gets hit, it's bad. And but for an Asimento, he's got good striking, but the wrestling, the grappling, he's big on top. He's good in the scrambles. But when you look at these two guys, it was somewhat of a stretch, stretch that Nascimento made it into the UFC. It's wild that Sumaderji got signed off a loss with WLF Wars loses to Luis Smolka by submission, then wins three in a row to the point where he's a giant favorite against Zuruk Adashev in kind of a wishy-washy fight, if you remember it. And then when Sumaderji fought Matt Schnell, it was a great start, it was a bad end, but it was a wild fight. Sumaderji's kind of been just all over the map. But that's what makes him so much fun to watch. Like, I like watching Sumaderji because he does have such a roller coaster to his style. We know he has a lot of weaknesses on his back. He might not have the greatest durability on his feet, but he's also a big fighter for the weight class. Has exceptionally fast feet when he decides to use them. Here's the thing, he doesn't always decide to use them, and he will get flat-footed as the fight progresses. But when he is at his best, using those dart-in kind of blitz attacks with his own boxing, he's a very difficult fighter to pin down and to deal with in the early goings of this matchup and the thing about Nascimento is I do think he's the more well-rounded in, in this matchup right he's got a great ground game phenomenal offensive uh, submissions and he does have good Muay Thai himself on the feet but I do think the speed of Sumaderji at least early is going to give Nascimento quite a few issues if he's not able to get his hands on him and at least use the clinch to slow Sumaderji down because I do think the footwork of uh, the Tibetan Eagle which I think is a great nickname it's odd but it's great I do think his footwork is a lot faster and it's something that uh, Alain Nascimento is really going to have to deal with being with the leg kick or some of that clinch work to slow him down. Yeah, and Nascimento is an interesting guy, right? Because he does have more of a traditional Muay Thai stance. He's very it's upright. Been kind of adopted to MMA, but he is really upright. He'll throw that kind of wonky knee out there like an Anthony Smith. And Sumaderji's not a really big kicker. He's more mixes it up with his boxing. And I find it funny, you know, for Sumaderji, last win, I mentioned it. It was a really really, really long time ago, back in 2020, and all the way back when Sumaderji won his last fight, it was January 20th, 2020. It, so it's been a while. 2021, rather. So I made a mistake. But if we go back, Matt, to January 20th of 2021, the number one song in the world, can you guess it? 
Silent Pause for Effect. The Box by Roddy Rich. No, I actually think that song's pretty good. Haven't heard it in a long I time. I know, that's why I thought it was number one. I didn't think it was bad. Driver's License by Olivia Rodrigo. And I don't even know a single word, the, the melody, or how that minutes, song goes. So I don't know anything about Olivia Rodrigo other than the Paramore stuff. But that's all I know. I'm not a TikToker. TikToker, see? I'm not a beat bopper. I just know the old stuff. And when it comes down to this matchup, Matt, I think the older guy gets the win in the fight. I mean, Nascimento is favored here. We have a look at the topology vote. Surprise to us there to you. I'm going to say over under. I think it's going to be a little bit closer. I'm going to say 62.5% Nascimento. I think it's going to be like 80, so I'll say Really? Both. And it is. So 823 total votes. Nascimento commanding an 81% Well, I just share. think it's the weaknesses that we've seen in Super Se Energy off his back, right? 75% have him to win by submission, do they, with Nascimento. And again, when it comes to Nascimento, we saw him struggle with the takedown on the regional scene, WLF Wars. We saw it in the Smolka fight. We saw it in the Schnell fight. When it comes down to Sumaderji, the guy cracks, he hits hard, and the fans were on him before he's missed this year and a half. So we'll see how this fight plays out. I think Nascimento is a little bit more well-rounded. And when you take on a good wrestler, you can struggle in some of the scrambles like against Hiro Lombeka, but we don't see that as much out of Sumaderji. So for me, I do like Nascimento in the fight. I guess you could point to the pie of a fight to, to show some good spots from Sumaderji. I just didn't really like how that fight went on against Rukadashev either. So I do like Nascimento here. The thing I will say about Sumaderji... I could see him getting like an early knockdown, right? Like a flash knockdown, having early success with some of that long range boxing. Because you're right. He does fight from a very long distance for a guy who doesn't throw a ton of kicks. It is sort of that blitzing effect of jumping in from that long range. He has great success when he is able to land the straight shots. But I think Nascimento is going to get his hands on him at some point. And we've seen it fight in and fight out. Super energy off his back is not the greatest fighter of all time. Nascimento with the ground and pound and it, he's got tons of submissions. I think he'll be able to have a lot of success. Both of us going with uh, Diego Alima shoot the box's own Alain Nascimento to get the win. Matt, now it's time. Short notice. It was one of those Dana White announcements. Anthony Smith going to be taking on Khalil Roundtree in the co-main event. You are not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Name Picks, we always say. Let's, Let's get, get into it. it. November 24th and a Dana White announcement down from the commentary booth and into the friendly confines of the UFC Apex. A guy who's down to scrap. The former title challenger, Anthony Smith. He's going to be taking on Ultimate Fighter, not winner. It's Khalil Roundtree Jr. Matt, Khalil Roundtree is on an absolute is heater he right now. We talked about some fighters that are up. Some fighters are down. Just like Jun Young Park on this card, a four-fight win streak for Roundtree. His last time out inside of a round knocks out Chris Dawkins clean. And now he gets a big-time shot. Again, on short notice, favoring him with the full camp. And man... Bangkok ready from Southpaw to is Syndicate. Color Roundtree is a big time problem. When you look at it for Anthony Smith, no stranger to the bright lights. He's one and one in co-main event spots in the UFC. One, of course, against Johnny Walker. One against Ryan Spann. So a little bit of wishy-washy there. But again, just like I said last weekend, Billy... Billy, don't you lose my number. Anthony Smith, the big wins over Ryan Spann, especially his last time out. But of course, eight... Count them eight main events in the UFC, five and three in those spots. The only losses Glover to share Rakic and John Jones. So Smith, co-main events, main events, some big time spots. He's fought some soap paws as well in the UFC, that being Khalil Roundtree's stance. And this is a big time opportunity for Roundtree, maybe more so than Anthony Smith, who Smith, I mean, even off his last win, he was calling for a title shot and it seems like 
kind of just blew him by. Well, he's had a couple opportunities in his career, I'd say. Just one. Here's the thing. Well, I just mean like main event. Anthony Smith is the main event of every other of these fight just nights. Like, okay? Just like Stephen Bonner. We don't Ortiz. have a lot of Hold these on. left. Wants to flush the dirt down the toilet. How many effing Anthony Smith main events have we broken down? Like it's just eight. Exactly. Every, every six months, Anthony Smith. I was Smith in one of them once. Main event. My whole point is Anthony Smith has had a lot of these high-profile opportunities. So if Rowtree is able to beat him, shy of a title shot. Maybe Anthony Smith isn't the biggest name he could have on his resume, but this is a career-defining kind of a win that he could get because it puts him up into that top 10, top 5 category to where he only needs one, maybe two more wins to get into the title picture. And let's be honest, 185, 205, heavyweight, they're all pretty wide open right now. So Khalil Rowtree Jr., you never really could have imagined at one point could have reached this stage of the division, but good on him for making those improvements throughout his career because early on he was very much just a boxer, had very high hands, would throw a nice jab, a good right hand as well, but he has incorporated so much more of the Muay Thai in his uh, whole entire style. The issue I have is, I don't think he's as well-rounded as Anthony Smith. That's not a controversial statement, right? Anthony Smith, a very good offensive grappler. Every time you kind of forget about that part of his game, he'll always just bring out a submission win out of nowhere. But how much damage can Anthony Smith acquire before he is just a lesser fighter than what he goes into as? Because he has taken so much damage at this stage of his career. A lot of those early knockout losses I know were at 185, not 205. And I do think he did benefit from kind of an uptick in durability when he did move up those 20 pounds. But he's been in a lot of tough fights at this weight class too. And he just worry about how many more of those big shots he can take from a guy like Khalil Roundtree, who might not fight with the highest volume, but you only need one against somebody like Anthony Smith to change the tide of the battle. That's it. We know that Khalil Roundtree, the kicks against Eric Anders, remember leg kicks, remember the soccer kicks against and the Carl Robertson. a guy his size. Like he moves exceptionally quick because Khalil Roundtree Jr. is a massive fighter. He's a really muscular guy, but he moves from point A to point B as fast as anyone. He does. And then there's some fights big that go really well. Well, no, sometimes. like I mentioned, there's some fights that go really poorly, like his fight against Marcin Prakniel. Everybody, myself, yourself, everybody included, thought that Roundtree was going to be Prakniel, and then it was just peaks and valleys, and there were too many valleys of inactivity, and he wasn't able to get it done. Exactly. Now, four-fight win streak for Khalil Roundtree Jr., the Bukowskis oblique kick, the Carl Robertson fight, like I mentioned, with the soccer kicks when he was down, Dustin Jacoby in a tight one, and then his last time out against Chris Dawkins, he gets the win, and again, it'll be interesting to see for Roundtree how he gets himself moving, because he almost found himself into the Dawkins fight, there wasn't much going on at the very start, and then he started to open up, he gets the win, and for Anthony Smith, again, I, I kind of flashed my notes at the end of where, what you were saying, we don't watch tape together, and we don't write notes together. I have Muay Thai versus Muay Thai because for Anthony Smith, it's exactly. a little bit of that stance. We always mention him backing up behind the black that. line, get that knee up there. Rowtree destroys him if he does that. He's going to like yeah. destroy that bottom leg I, and hit him with big hooks. I do think so, but I wrote down something that you said. BJJ Smith, X-Factor. I wrote down Ola Shechek, Kutsilaba, Pedro, and Sanchez, Ultimate Fighter Season 23 Finale. What do all of those fights, Ola Shechek, Kutsilaba, Pedro, and Sanchez have in common? Christ. Roundtree gives up the early takedown, he pops back up, and then the takedowns continue, and the Ola Shechuk, uh fight is a no contest, because there were a little bit of substances the that fight weren't was eight years ago too. completely legal for Khalil Round, or sorry, for uh, Ola Shechuk. so it was overturned to a no contest, but he struggled in all of those fights with the takedowns. Now, again, numbers on a page, Sanchez fought Smith, Sanchez fought Roundtree, there are common opponents in all of this. But for Roundtree, if it does get down to the mat, Anthony Smith with the jiu-jitsu 
We saw that against Ryan Spann. We've seen that in other fights as well. Do you well. know what this fight kind of reminds You've me of? You've talked over me Sorry. so much. Let me make my fucking point. Anthony Smith has fought two southpaws in the UFC. Has he won one? Yeah. Has he lost one? Yeah. He fought Cesar Muchachi Ferreira. And that fight, it went as well as, well, no, it wouldn't. He lost that fight. But the big fight that I point to against the southpaw for Anthony Smith that was years ago in a bit of a comparison here, short, stocky, muscle-up guy moving up a weight class, we're talking about the former great, the GOAT with Bellator, Hector Lombard. Lombard wins the first. Lombard wins the second. In the third round, Dominic Cruz is going, man, Anthony Smith has got to pull together some combos and win this fight. Lombard enters in. Smith hits him with one shot. Lombard's down. Smith gets the win. It's a wild finish win. Smith hasn't fought a lot of southpaws. Smith has fought strikers before. I think on short notice, Anthony Smith has to put the wrestling shoes on because he has that cardio advantage, at least perceived, to being so well conditioned to big fights, main events as well. I think Smith has got to go out there and wrestle a bit in this fight. I think this fight could look a lot like when Luke Rockhold fought David Branch. And I know David Branch was a really good grappler, but how did that fight go? Luke Rockhold has a really good top game for his grappling, has great strikes too, but he went out there and ate a lot of damage early. But slowly but surely, once he was able to get that top position and really utilize the BJJ, there was kind of levels to the game. And I could see Anthony Smith going through a lot of that early adversity. And like you said, putting on the wrestling shoes. And if he gets that top spot and if he's able to land some of that ground and pound, his elbows are absolutely insane, be it from the feet or on the ground. And those could really change the tide of this one. Yeah, a back flat TKO type of... Uh, listen, poor David Branch. He was so good with WSOF and in two UFC it runs. He got slammed knockout or knocked out by uh, a friend of the show, a guy we haven't talked about all that much. But when you look at this one... Khalil Roundtree, I mean, he is a pretty darn big favorite in the matchup. Again, this is on short notice. Roundtree was supposed to fight last week, if I'm not mistaken, against uh, Azamat Mirzakhanov. Mirzakhanov out, so now Smith takes the matchup. We have a look at the topology vote. Surprise to us there to you. I'm going to say over under 70% Roundtree. I think they're going to be over. And they are over 718 total votes, 79% Roundtree, 81% by knockout for the 21% that have Smith, 46% by decision, 38% by submission. So Matt, do you have the war horse in this one? The fans do, the odds suggest it. I, I like Khalil Ramtree Jr. in this matchup, but I do agree with how the votes break it down for Anthony Smith. I do think a submission win is somewhat likely for him if he's able to go out there and get the win. Even off his back, maybe. We could see him get dropped by a big shot and kind of Fabrice over Doom, uh, Fedor Emelianenko it. But I do like Khalil Ramtree Jr. in this matchup. I think if he is able to land some of those early shots, like we've seen in earlier fights, he does tend to slow down as the fight goes on. But I think those early power shots are going to be enough to win it. I'm going to go with Anthony Smith, and I, I this is impromptu, so I'm going to have to do it in post, but I'm going to add in a clip of the interview from when I was standing with him at UFC Moncton, because he talked about how swollen his knee was against Volkan Uzdemir. My leg's a little banged up for sure. Uh, you know, I was pretty sure that I had tackled the, the leg kick problem after the Hector Lombard fight, but clearly me and Mark need to sit down and figure that problem out a little bit. Um, I knew he was going to throw hard, throw hard leg kicks, but I thought that I'd be able to, to counter those with a hard right hand. Uh, and to be honest with you, even when I was checking him, he was kicking me out of my stance, so I wasn't able to. But it's just another thing we got to fix, you know? 
And that's a big problem for Smith. He gets kicked in the legs a lot, and he doesn't check leg kicks. And Khalil Roundtree's got some of the biggest ones out there from Southpaw. I like the well-roundedness of Smith, and I'm going to pick him in this matchup. I think the wrestling and just the overall well-roundedness could carry him to a win here. But Matt, we are split on this one. You're going with the Warhorse, Khalil Roundtree. I'm going with Lionheart, Anthony Smith to get the win. Let us know who you have down below in the comments section. That only means one thing, Matt. We got a couple main events before the end of the year. And this one, it's Song Yidong taking on Chris Gutierrez. A big time fight. You are not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, we always say. Let's get into it. It's a big time bandweight pairing. And for a third straight time, Song Yidong under the bright lights gets a main event opportunity. He's going to welcome in El Guapo, Chris Gutierrez, Matt. The fans, they saw the thumbnail out there this week, and I've got Song Yidong. Where is the next contender? He wants a title shot, and you see the leg kick king, Chris Gutierrez, out there getting it done and continuing on. And his last time out, a shuffle, reshuffle of opponents. He beats Alatang Haley, gets it done over three rounds, looked really good in that fight not that long ago. Now he gets another opportunity to big name. And Chris Gutierrez, you'll remember... Pay-per-view spot, retiring legend, knocks him out with a knee against Frankie Edgar. Oh. So Gutierrez has been in these spots, doesn't have a big social media following, but I know between the hardcores of the hardcores, they can appreciate what Gutierrez gets done. Now, the last time he went against another shorter, good boxer, at Bantamweight, another leg kick king. It was Pedro Munoz and Gutierrez favorite. Wasn't able to get it done his last time or that last time out against Pedro Munoz. But he was able to prove it his last time out getting a win. Now for Sonya Dung, if you look at it, the no contest is against Cody Stamen in the UFC. Lose a point due to an illegal knee. He's had a fight against Marlon Vera. Casey Kenny fight. Julio Arce. Morais. The Sandhagen loss because of the cut. Listen, we've said this before. Sometimes your face, your eyebrows, they just evade you sometimes. And that fight was ended, though he didn't do all that well with the volume. But his last time out, Matt, for Song Yadong, we've seen high highs, we've seen low lows. Ricky Simone was on the uptick, and a lot of people picked him to win that fight. Song Yadong was able to pull away with his boxing. So I'm eager to get your thoughts on this fight, because I know the fans are going to be amped. Maybe more so for one side than the other. It is a really interesting main event, and I'm happy that we are getting five rounds of this matchup because the winner, I think, has a ton to gain, and I don't know if the loser is really going to fall off a cliff if I that don't makes either. any sense. Because I think this is a really well-matched fight, even though the odds might not suggest it is, because Sagi Dong might be pretty well-rounded, right? We might not see as much of the offensive takedowns because, let's be honest, he's defending so many more of those takedowns. He is such a great striker. But... He is more well-rounded, but he's going to do what Chris Gutierrez does well, and that is stand in the pocket and try to use his boxing. And if he is so heavy on that lead leg, you brought it up, we talk about it all the time. What is Chris Gutierrez amazing at? He can chop your legs down and make you become a much different fighter than you are on your best day. But it was nice to see Song Yadon go out there and get a late stoppage against Ricky Simone. He had to put on, like, not only the wrestling shoes, but he had to really dig deep in that matchup, defend takedowns, land a lot of damaging strikes, and have his power carry very late in that fight. And I do think that fight going late is going to be very advantageous for him not only in this matchup but just moving forward in a lot of those fights because against Corey 
Sanhagen, he gets that nasty cut early, and he's really on the defensive in a lot of that matchups. I gotta be honest, he did more positive in that fight than I had kind of remembered upon initial just remembrance. I thought he got lit up for a lot of that matchup, but he was able to land his own decent strikes on the feet and at point A to point B against a tall rangier guy, because Sanhagen did look much bigger than uh, Song Yudong, but he did a good job of using those blitzes forward, even with that damage die. And in my mind's eye, I think of Chris Gutierrez as a bigger, longer fighter in this one. By the numbers, he's, what, an inch taller and the reach is the same, but Gutierrez does hold his hands kind of chest to chin height, and he stands really tall in the pocket, and it opens up his hips to the leg kicks, whereas for Song Yudong, a lot more planted. He does have good footwork, and he mixes boxing and body head quite well, and he can deal with the leg kicks, but if Gutierrez gets some rolling in the first round, that just completely throws game plans out of the water. You saw that against Vince Morales. You saw that against Andre Ewell. You've seen that for Chris Gutierrez to where those leg kicks can pay a great dividends. Now, in the UFC for a guy like uh, Gutierrez, and I, I misspoke when I said Ewell. We saw that in other Ewell fights. I was thinking of the fight he had against Charles Jordan. But if you do look at it for Gutierrez in the UFC, he's a big-time winner over with the LFA against Ray Rodriguez, and he loses... The, to Howney Barcelos, a smaller, kind of good striker, kind of like a song you don't. We remember the draw against Cody Durden, that won a 10-8 first round, and then he's able to withstand and win the second, win the third. So a little bit different, compare and contrast, but the two guys that these two guys have fought, Gutierrez beat Vince Morales with the leg kick. Song Yedong actually fought Vince Morales. The last time he fought in China, and that was back in 2018, UFC Fight Night Blades versus Nganu 2. And there were a few different fighters on this card that were on that card. You had Sung Kanan, Sung uh, Yedong, as well as Sumaderji. Those two other guys lost, but Sung Yedong was able to get a win. Both these guys have fought Alatang Hei Lee. For Gutierrez, it was his last time out. For Song friggin' Yedong, it was back in 2013 on the regional scene. So pretty cool stuff there. When you look at this and you consider Gutierrez, he had the big rise, the loss to Munoz, kind of lost a lot of stock. He wasn't supposed to fight Alatang Hei Lee, but he did. And as I mentioned, that was not that long ago. He was originally supposed to be taking on Montel Jackson. We were excited about that fight, did a video, thought Jackson was going to win. Ultimately, Gutierrez beat Alatang Hei Lee. But for Song Yedong, I mean... You have abbreviated, is it going to be Rob Font? The fight falls out, he gets Sandhagen. Was it going to be Pyotr Jan? Well, I listened to an interview that Song Yedong did with Fanatics View. James Lynch, I haven't mentioned JHK at all this week. Sorry, JHK, but James Lynch gets to play. He asked if the rumors of the Yan fight were true, and Song Yedong said in other words, he accepted the fight with Yan, but the UFC never sent the contract across. So I found that really interesting. What was his prediction for this fight? He said, and I quote, my prediction... Just knock him out. And he also said that... Is he Mike Perry? The Shanghai to Vegas thing, he doesn't really know why they made the move. But in his corner, he's going to have uh, Coach Marcus, his boxing coach, Uriah Faber, uh, Danny Castillo, and Slava Claus, Vyacheslav Borsha. So pretty good corner there. Matt, when you look at this fight, though, again, we know the boxing out of Song Yudong. We know the... Complete game that can be from Chris Gutierrez, but we see him a lot more on the defensive with the takedowns than he can be on the offensive. And I think his offensive wrestling is pretty good. I think his cardio is pretty good. But for me, when we look at this one, I mean, Song Yudong is a pretty darn big favorite in the matchup. And I'm eager to see what the fans have to say over on the YouTubes. 
to my YouTube community tab. We throw it out there every single time. Where do you think the fans are going to be on this one? I think they'll be around 80% Sonya Dog, but I would put it under personally because I do think Gutierrez with his leg kicks and his style, Song's available to be hit. I know he moves his feet well, but he moves his feet well on the retreat and when he's defending takedowns. When he's the guy being the aggressive in the forward party, he can still get clipped by some of those kicks. And if that's the case, it could make this fight closer than, like I said, the odds would uh, suggest. You said over under 80. You said you think it's going to be under, though. I'm going to say over. We have a look. And Matt, it's really close. 819 total votes. 83% Song Yidong. 17% on Gutierrez. First, last thing. Song Yidong is becoming an extremely well-rounded fighter. What they have done with him at Team Alpha Male is incredible. This is a feeder fight if I've ever seen one. Pick him MMA. Song will check the leg. Kicks the close range. Knock him out. I see a fourth round knockout. That's a really tough game plan. He knows something we don't. You're gonna try and you're gonna try and counter and and check leg kicks against Gutierrez. It's tough. Uh, Zolas is saying Gutierrez by leg kicks. We got Ryan McCown saying uh, I don't know why I struggle with Ryan's last name, but McCown saying uh, Song gonna knock him out, and we'll go with PPB 1962. Chris is overrated. Best win is over the ghost of Frankie Edgar. I don't know. I'd say. Probably the win in the thumbnail over Vince Morales is the best one. Just the TKO due to leg kicks. I do You'll like see a lot of guys getting main events though off of leg kick TKOs over Vince Morales. No, that's well, that's why he didn't get one so soon. But, but that's why that guy's comment does make a little sense. I do have Song Yidong in the fight because I think the overall volume, the pressure, and the fact that I've said this a few times this card, mixing up body to head and really changing things up, energy system, keeping Gutierrez guessing. I think I mentioned it in another video, and I don't just say this to be contrived, but Gutierrez's elbows usually always in a good spot to block both his liver because he's got long arms, blocks his liver and. And it's pretty high up to his chin, so he can move it just ever so slightly. But I think he's going to struggle with the pressure of Song Yidong here. And I think Song Yidong can get the win. I do think Song Yidong has a decided speed advantage, especially with the hands in this matchup. If he walks into a big shot, I wouldn't be surprised. And again, if Gutierrez can use some of those up-the-middle attacks to halt the forward momentum of Yidong, I wouldn't be surprised whatsoever. But the speed of Song, and also his own elbows. Like, Song does a good job on the inside of grabbing that uh, single control on the back of the neck and then throwing elbows himself. And if he's able to use that again, Gutierrez to again just throw more question marks out there he might be able to walk away with a win but that last win against Simone having it be so late with the stoppage it really did show that Song has been making those improvements to his game I think yeah I mean overall unfortunate that it goes from Shanghai to the U.S. because for Song Yidong and the other fighters out of Asia it would have been a really good opportunity sure. and Song Yidong I mean he's from the northeast of China and Shanghai is kind of east but more south so to speak so if you do look at it there would have been representation there but ultimately in this one both of us going with Song Yidong watch out for those elbows Chris Gutierrez there's times when he can do the Marab Doshvili and just start spinning you saw it against Bakari Dana but overall Matt a really big card I mean five total ranked fighters on this one there's a lot of fights to look forward to some thrown in on short notice it was announced today tonight Sunday night Matt Chris uh, Chris Gutierrez, Song Yidong, just being an exciting one. But it was announced that we have Steve Garcia taking on Mel Costa. That one's at lightweight. So I'll throw a disclaimer up there, but we were under the impression it was still at featherweight. So that one is going to be at a lightweight contest. Matt, I know we talked about it, but what's your favorite fight on this card? I like Hack Press versus Malarkey. It should be a fun fight again. Is it going to decide on who wins the title next year? Probably not, but it's just a well-matched fight. I do think stylistically it's one that's probably going to go late. We might get a stoppage too. 
I think that one's mine too, but I'll throw another one out there. Son Kanan and Kevin Jusset. These two guys are hungry. They're both coming off for really big wins, and they need more to build momentum in a loaded 170 division. So look out for those question mark kicks on Saturday, two hours before the prelims. If anything changes this week, fights added, fights dropped. You can always find us here. YouTube, Instagram, and X at Fight Night Picks. You're going to want to keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's get into it.